check. Look, if I shoot you, I'm brainless. But if you shoot me, then you're famous. What's a nigga to do when the streets is watching? Slash, keep clocking, waiting for you to break. Make your first mistake, can't ignore it. That's the fastest way to get extorted. My time is money, 25, I can't afford it. Beef is sorted like a diver. Chocolate, as you bought it. I pull a slide back and crack it. Plan to board it. You and your mans get a pass. This rhyme, you're operating off time. Y'all niggas ain't worth my shells. All y'all niggas trying to do is hurt myself. All right, you know how we doing it. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J is what we're up to today. Yes, indeed. Live back in action. Moving to the divisional round as the Browns took down the Steelers to the dog pound and why Doug Peterson got run out of town. How the Ravens flew over the Titans crew as the Saints won another one with Drew. Brady and the Bucks are clicking while father time is ticking, but damn, they gave Washington a whipping. Russell Wilson was flat out flipping, watching his own line straight up tripping. The Rams D was cruel. By the way, Buffalo won too. With some help from the Colts, as Frank Reich acted a fool. Welcome back to the best freaking football show in the galaxy. My name is Jason Fearman. You're listening to the Third and Three podcast brought to you by Anchor Radio and presented by the Sports Column. I am proud to be joined by my partners in rhyme, Miss Tricky Nikki Gist and the real deal Damien Adams in the house. Guys, I am so pumped up for this show. And Damien, I know you must be, man, because you're ready to go into the next round, baby. Very, very pumped up. Can't help but be pumped after that rhyme right there. That was <laughs> Yeah, that is serious. <laughs> I told oh. you guys. <laughs> so yes i'm very very hype right now about my saints and hype to do the show man just get into it no doubt baby that's what we're here for nikki 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 how we doing this evening we are good well your rhyme your haiku i feel like we need some beats behind that d where's the sound effects we gotta redo that run it back now i'm good happy to be here and ready to get into it i love it that's why i never tell you guys what i'm doing in the beginning i always want that genuine reaction no doubt <laughs> Let's give out some genuine reactions right now. We're going to do some shout outs. We're going to do some major shout outs later. You guys have been freaking awesome sending in questions to us through Twitter, Facebook, all sorts of social media. We're going to get to that before we start breaking down the playoffs. But guys, first, my shout out goes to Chris Mascaro at C-T-M-A-S-C-A-R-O, who is not only a fantastic follow on Twitter and a great friend of the show, but he also hosts Thursday night tailgate and next on the tee. So as you can tell from the title, he's a huge knowledgeable golf fan, but the man also knows his football. When you listen to the tailgate show, follow him for his knowledge and because he will support you at CT Mascaro, M-A-S-C-A-R-O. Bro, we appreciate you, man. And I know you guys come shots. I got some shout outs too, and I would love to hear them. Go ahead, Nikki. Okay, my shout out, new friend of the show, new follower, Babe Ruth, Sportos Analyst. And you can find her on Twitter at Ruth the Truth. That's three H's at the end. Um, and tonight, she actually sent me her schedule. So tonight is Ladies Night at Beauty and the Cleats. So check it out, give it a listen and a follow. Wow, that's pretty awesome right there. My mother's name happens to be Ruth, which is not a very common name unless you're like 106, but my mother got it right. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is her name. So I'm an automatic fan right there, Nikki. Good one. Hey, D, what you got? So I want to give a shout out to my man, TK Goldsmith. 
Uh, you can find him at TK Goldsmith on Twitter. And he hosts a podcast called I Need a Mulligan. Uh, we all can use a do-over in certain parts of life. And he talks yeah. about that in sports. Uh, of course, I Need a Mulligan is a big thing with golf. So he's a big golf guy as well. Big college football guy, NBA guy, former college basketball player. So you get a little bit of everything with him. Check him out at I Need a Mulligan on any podcast platform and TK Goldsmith on Twitter. Beautiful, beautiful. So those are the three shout outs of this Wednesday evening, January 13th, I believe it is, if I have that correct over there. So here we go. We're ready to roll. It's football time. Like I said, we're going to get to your questions later. We got Mount Player Player. We got Applause and Tomatoes. But first, we're going to kick it off with Neighborhood News, which is um, some injuries, uh, you know, some quarterbacks. Let's just get into it right now. The most recent news of firings for head coaches is Doug Peterson out of Philly. And I believe we were talking about that last show, guys. And I, I'm not shocked one bit because when you lose the locker room, you lose the team. What are you going to do? Are you going to get rid of 53-plus players or are you going to get rid of your head coach, right, D? Yeah, if you have a you know player revolt, you got to get rid of the coach. Um, but I feel like the organization set him up for the revolt. If they gave him the go-ahead to play Nate Sudfield in that game where they had a chance to win and come back, and he made that decision, and now the players have turned against him, and then you turn around and fire him, man, that knife must be sharp in his back right now. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's definitely what happened to him. He got stabbed in the back if that's how it really went down. You see, but my – right, exactly, if that's how it really went down. But from my understanding, Nikki, is that this was all communicated throughout the week that Sudfeld's going to get snaps, and if it was communicated to the players, which apparently it wasn't, at least not to everybody – um, that Sudfeld would be going in. So you saw Jalen Hurts' face, you heard Miles Sanders' comments, so on and so forth. So according to, uh, you know, the media, the mainstream, it, it, it was the plan. But now, the you know, now Philadelphia is like, what the hell happened? And Doug Peterson completely lost them. Um, you wouldn't know that that was the plan. I just like, sometimes you just got to look at the way people react in certain situations. And if that was the plan, you sure could have fooled everyone, even your own players. Um, but D's right. If, because all I've heard is this came from up top, he had the okay to do this. And then now you get thrown under the bus, but Hey, I ain't mad about it. That's karma for you, baby. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he look. There's already seven uh, openings right now, including the one that he just lost in Philadelphia. So I wouldn't be shocked if one of the other six teams did take him. You know, let's not forget the Super Bowl in 2017, followed by two playoff appearances. We know this year was a mess. Speaking of the Eagles, they're trying to take away my DC, Robert Salas. So with the Jets, stay away. We want to keep him. Let's pay him. And the Texans, very interesting. So Eric Bieniemy had like five different interviews. Uh, throughout the week that he was off, which he was allowed to. Now he cannot interview with anybody, Damian, until the Kansas City Chiefs season is over, which a lot of people presume will be after the Super Bowl. And the Texans all of a sudden are interested in him. Deshaun Watson is fed up with that. We're going to go over all of that sort of stuff. But to me, they have got to be the worst franchise in the NFL. Yeah, it looks like they are very poorly run. Uh, only one that would you know, kind of give them a run for their money is the Jets. But with Houston, not only do you have a bad situation, but your cap is very, very tight. You don't have much room to wiggle there. You don't have the top draft picks the next couple of years. So where is the room for improvement? You have to really work some miracles there to improve the squad. And you got a team that went 4-12. and 12. 
So yeah. if you if it was coming off a 12 and four year, you're like, okay, at least we're good. We might not have, you know, cap space, but at least we have a squad. You have no squad, no money, no chemistry. So where yeah. do you go from there? Yeah. Aging players, obviously you see how important that combination is with your top wide receiver, especially when he's top three in the league, top five at worst. So uh, yeah, man, I'm with you over there. It's badly run, just like the Jets, just like you mentioned. So Nikki, you know, Deshaun Watson, he, he, he wants out of there and I don't blame him. I, I wonder where he'll go. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but the Texans are just in bad, bad shape. They went from a perennial playoff team to absolute garbage this year. And it sure as hell isn't Watson's fault. No, it's not. And I just want to know you guys, how much would it cost? Like, what would you demand to be the head coach of that franchise? Oh gosh! Because like that's a he- that's a freaking headache. Like that is, I mean, that's a lot of work. Like you guys said, you're not walking into like a 12 and 4 team when you just made it to the playoffs, and you no, like that's a lot of work. Like what do you what price tag is that franchise for a head coach? It I mean, definitely it, depends. It, it, I, I don't know. Like I think of a guy like Urban Meyer possibly because they have to really, you know, regroup and revamp and recruit if you want to even put it that way, because that team is a complete disarray. So if you want a guy who knows how to rebuild a team, I know it may be a little far fetched, but is Urban Meyer going to say no to Deshaun Watson? I don't know. That's pretty intriguing. Yeah, no, Deshaun Watson is the only thing that makes the job worthwhile, but he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Right. So (laughs) if you have to, go in knowing that you can convince him to stay right. And the only coach that seems like he may be able to do that is Eric B mm-hmm. but Eric B seems like he'll have his choice of jobs. And if you have a choice, you're not going to go to Houston. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you ain't going to the jets either. <laughs> exactly. So the, the people who take the Houston job are going to be people who are qualified, but don't have their picking of whatever team they want to go to. It's going to be yeah. somebody who, may not be other teams second third choice who yeah. go to Houston and you never know with coaching it's hard to predict who's going to be a good coach so you may still get somebody who's a great coach but just won't be that top guy that you want yeah that's right look they need a lot of help Eric Bianami is I'm hearing there's a lot of ties to the Chargers right now in that same division um that would not be bad with Justin Herbert over there uh speaking with coaches the Bears they're sticking with Nagy um I guess making the playoffs that's what did it regardless of their record so he's still there talking about Urban Meyer you know he's a hot commodity the Bills lost Zach Moss now we know they don't run the ball a lot they got Devin Singletary but they signed Devontae Freeman to back him up and you do need a backup especially in the playoffs so they're playing this weekend they're one of the final few that are in there quick questions for you guys well maybe not that quick but we could get into it a little bit later. Um, I saw the tears in Philip Rivers' eyes after that game. He was holding him back big time. That kind of led me to believe that might be the last game for him, Nikki. What do you think? Well, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Take it easy. Cold-hearted. No, I'm sorry. Like, I, I know we're not even to the ranting part yet, but like Rivers, Roethlisberger, I've seen enough. That was not a freaking Hail, Hail Mary that Rivers threw. I don't know what that was. Maybe like, Jay, I think you could throw better. You haven't played in a while, right? <laughs> I mean, that was just pathetic. It reminded me of watching Peyton Manning and his last Super Bowl. 
painful. Like you don't want to see the greats go out like that. Like hang it up, move on. Like no, you guys should not be in the league anymore. Like Drew Brees, I love you. I think it's time to move on. Like only Brady actually can prove has shown that he's getting better maybe in father time. Like, I don't know, or he's got ice in his veins for playoffs, but I- I've seen enough Roethlisberger rivers enough. Let's move on with life. It's, it's time. It's really time. Wow. Well, we heard that ranting right Sorry. there. From like- <laughs> <laughs> it's aggravating. Well, like it's time we got to, to go. <laughs> well, I will say something just in his defense. First, we're going to get to that game. We're going to talk about it, but I do want to say that he was, the f- Indy became the first team in the Super Bowl era to have 450 yards of offense in a playoff game with no turnovers. So we're going to talk about that game. And Philip Rivers didn't do as bad. I know you're fed up with him. And it's like, yeah, it's let, let the young people come in. So I understand that. But how about Big Ben, uh, Damien? Do you think that might have been his last game? Ah, uh, man, it's hard to tell with Big Ben because we've been thinking he's done for three, four years now. Right? He'll come out yeah. with these very <laughs> – just sad comments he'd be like you know I feel like this is it if I can't play good enough to do this it's over you know have a bad game he'll say stuff like that and with him he's definitely not the same he's not the guy who can struggle off three tacklers and throw the ball you know 50 yards on the field and this game definitely showed that but again with him you just don't know what's going on in his mind if it's his last game or not it definitely would help out their salary cap a lot if he retired yeah, you see, that's the thing. Another thing, I'm, you know, Mason Rudolph is really, do you want him to be your quarterback? So you may have to give Big Ben money, uh, a lot of money, that is, you know, to come back for one more season before they can revamp. We'll see with that. We know how Nikki feels about that situation. <laughs> so I want to get into something real quick, which I noticed a couple of weeks ago, and I meant to bring up to you guys a while ago. It's obviously, you know, joking matter, but Phil Sims, I'm wondering if he had a bunch of children and just mixed the letters around because all of a sudden I'm seeing all these guys named Sims come around, Cam Sims, Steven Sims from Washington. Then he mixed around the letters with Denzel Mims from the Jets and Javon Wims from Chicago. I'm having like flutter of the mouth over here trying to get all these guys' names together. But where did all these players come from? I just find that so weird. Like before two weeks ago, I never even heard of any of them. And all of a sudden, three of them and they're in the playoffs. Just unbelievable. So good job, <laughs> unreal all right let's get to nikki's favorite segment over here applause <laughs> and tomatoes all right she already threw a whole freaking bunch of them already i know i'm sorry so but can i throw some more please go ahead all right i am going to throw my tomatoes at lebron james oh okay <laughs> this is different i know right didn't expect that um <laughs> No, I'm throwing them at him because he is a fraudulent fan. Yes, I said it. No, do not come at me and defend him because it's indefensible. Okay. You are a Cowboys fan. Okay. I understand you were born in Ohio. I get it. But you you had, you know, you got your championship. Then you left the city high and dry for a better opportunity. Listen, I get it. But do not jump on the Cleveland bandwagon because all you post on social media is how big of a Cowboys fan you are and this and that and your Cowboys hat and your Cowboys jersey. And now you want to be a Browns fan? No, these people have been through the lows of lows and miserable for years. And you should have to join in that. You want to root for your hometown team? Go right ahead. But don't jump on a bandwagon and don't give me, oh, yeah, no, this is what I keep seeing. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, but no, he should be able to root for the hometown team. He's not a bandwagon jumper, really, because he's been a Yankees fan, an Indians fan, a Dodgers fan, Cowboys, Browns. No, it's fraudulent. I don't like it. It's fake. And that is no, that is not fandom to me. So LeBron James, you get all the tomatoes. You're a fake fraudulent fan. I just sat here with a shock on my face, but you know what? She's like so right. I don't know if he's trying to represent every team to make more money or whatever it is, but he he goes to the Yankee stadium with the Yankee cap on, you know, going back. She's right about that. It's very fraudulent. It really is. Unless he's just really into hats, D. I don't know. (laughs) No, like, so for me, that's what people like. Some people make fun of me because when it comes to, basketball and football I literally only have Pelicans and Saints hats when I, I don't have a baseball team so I have a lot of different baseball team hats like match different outfits because I don't have a team so when it comes to football basketball only New Orleans LeBron James is definitely a fraudulent fan I remember when he came out as a Cowboys fan and how people were disappointed in him <laughs> for jumping on that bandwagon mm, Yankees up. fan he literally joined the Lakers like that's the <laughs> Yeah, the whole spectrum of bandwagon fan is Yankees, Lakers, Cowboys. So he had the whole spectrum and then wants to come back home once they're doing good. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm joining you in throwing the tomatoes at LeBron. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Like you, D. I did not see that coming, but so well done. Way to go, Nick. All right. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Excellent. All right, D. Which way are you going? Sticking with the tomatoes? Yeah, I'm going to stick with the the tomatoes, and I'm going to throw my tomatoes at something that's the same color as a tomato. Oh. The challenge flag. Oh. Ah, (laughs) interesting. I can't wait to hear this one. I feel like we saw some of the worst challenges I've ever (laughs) seen (laughs) in my life Wild Card Weekend. So they just didn't make sense. Like, clear plays that were clearly you know, called correctly when they happened. And I don't know who's telling Pete, Pete Carroll that, oh, come on. (laughs) And I'm like, is the challenge flag jumping out of their pockets by itself? (laughs) Is is somebody else telling like the offensive coordinator or the video coordinator, whoever it is telling them like, hey, don't believe what you're seeing on the big screen. I have a better view here. Throw the challenge flag. Because... (laughs) This, it was absolutely horrible. Some of these challenges that were thrown out there. Frank Wright, he's there too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Some just horrible challenges. You're wasting time out too. It's not like, and the Frank Wright one came at a, a horrible time. Like they need that time out. It's, I know. I feel like some of them were like out of desperation almost. It was very strange. I'm with you. Yeah. Some some you get like if it's a desperate time, you're like okay. We're just throwing the flag. Hopefully the referees mess it up and we get the ball back or something like that. But the other ones, like most of them have been just horrible challenges all the way. And I feel like Pete Carroll just rubbed off on everybody else the rest of the weekend. And it just just was bad. So I threw my tomatoes at the challenge flag. All right. All right. Hey, I'm down with that. Very good. I like that. Look, we always stick with the same, you know, we go tomatoes, tomatoes, tomatoes. But I'm going to go applause because this one is so different. And Damien, you're just really, really going to appreciate this one. And I also do have a little something for you um, because, uh, you know, great things happened for you this weekend. And I want to make sure that you hear it. So here you go, baby. Yeah. 
All right. Had to give you some of that, baby, because I'm going to my going to your Saints right here. Excuse me. I'm giving it to C.J. Gardner Johnson. And here's why. <laughs> Amy, and I know you know why. Nikki, you probably know why, too. But let me just break this down, okay? He got two Bears players kicked out of the game, including Sunday, as Anthony Miller punched him in the helmet. We're talking about C.J. Gardner Johnson. Two weeks earlier, he got Javon Wims. There you go again. Booted from the game for the same thing, getting clocked in the head. This is the same guy who we heard about in freaking practice and training camp, not even training camp practice, who Michael Thomas punched in the face. This guy can clearly get under your skin and make you irate to the fact that you want to rip his head off. And that is a talent in itself. He gets players thrown out of games and he stands there laughing as the instigator. That is a talent. That is incredible to do. And I got to tell you, Mike Evans, he's a hothead. He better watch out next because if Gardner Johnson gets on him, that's not going to be good for Tom Brady and the boys with the Bucks. But Damian, how does this guy get under everybody's skin? You talk about trash talk. It's for real with this dude, man. Yeah, it was funny because my mom called me when it happened and she was like, what is he saying to these people? (laughs) (laughs) uh, I just... I think he does he does his research and he's saying some very personal things. Mm-hmm. And I think he's saying things that we probably don't want to hear on the mic. Like I've seen other people say like, oh, I wish we could hear him, you know, mic stuff. I'm like, no, you don't want to hear him. Like he's saying things to get people to punch him in the face in a helmet. Right. To do this. He's saying some things to really get under their skin. Um, they can't be just all, you know, just this soft-minded. So it has to be that he's saying something very, very personal to get under their skin. We've heard stories about, you know, some of the legendary trash talkers. You hear more in basketball about the legendary trash talkers who do research to get under your skin during the game. But he definitely is doing something right when it comes, like you said, that is a talent. I've played against, like when I played basketball, I played against some good trash talkers who definitely try to get under your skin. You play any sport, you run into those type of guys. And he's very talented at it. He's doing a great job. Uh, When you talk about Mike Evans, usually Lattimore gets under Mike Evans' skin. If you ever watched Bucks and the Saints play every game. Yeah, every right. game they play, they go at each other. So we need CJ Gardner Johnson to do his Antonio Brown research. <laughs> <laughs> that will be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and, try to, and try to get under Antonio Brown's skin. Because Lattimore got Evans. Like he got Evans already. So Antonio Brown's been a new threat for them. We need to go ahead and take that throat away. So CJ Gardner Johnson, do your research right now and bring your A plus trash talk so we can get A B thrown out the game. Absolutely. You could definitely get under his skin, man. There's no doubt about it. That guy's got a temper shorter than a freaking fuse stick. So uh, yeah, watch out. So I had to throw my applause out quick on that one, man. I just thought that that was so different and just amazing. And when I found out that he was the one that actually punched Michael, uh, Mike, uh, I'm sorry, Michael Thomas, I was like, you got to be shitting me. So I had to throw that one out there. All right. So I got my tomatoes for after you guys throw your round of applause out. Go ahead, Nick. Um, Well, we already touched on it, but my round of applause is to Deshaun Watson for recognizing he's on the Titanic and is like, peace out. I don't care. It's women and children first. I'm jumping on that lifeboat. Give me the life raft. Get me the hell out of here. Get me to the first port. I'll change my name. I don't care. No. And you know what I love best about this whole situation is he's chilling on vacation, declining their calls. Like, I love it. That is something I would do. Like, F you. Where's your respect? (laughs) No, like, no. 
you're not going to disrespect me like that. You come to me for my input. I give you a list of people. You ignore it. Now I tell you I don't want to play on this team, and now you want to entertain my list? No. Miss me with the BS. So you know what, Deshaun Watson, enjoy your vacation, and I hope, God, I hope the Giants sell, like, the freaking Verrazano Bridge for you. I don't know, but I, I hope you land somewhere and happy, and I hope we take this as a life lesson. If you are in a situation you don't like, you know what? Sometimes you just got to cut the cord and move on and do it while you're on a nice vacation. Well done, Nikki. Them phone calls are coming in, and this is what's happening. Oh, hell. <laughs> I don't want to hear none of that. Nope. <laughs> Leave me the hell alone. Season's over. Vacation done. Hey, you know what? I applaud them, too. Listen, you do whatever you got to do to finally get the upper hand somehow in that organization where you can have some say. Because it is sad with this guy being a top four, at worst, top five quarterback, the, and he doesn't get any say in the organization. Every quarterback of that caliber does. Yeah, that's very true. Every quarterback of that type of ability usually has a say in the hires. And then they said he would have a say in who the GM would be, or at least put in his input. So I definitely agree with him there. Now, I don't know if this will work, you know, with him signing that big extension right before the season, which hasn't even started yet. Right. It's going to be really hard to move him. Yep. And, you know, if I'm Houston, I'm not moving him. What? We just signed you and you're a top five quarterback (laughs) and we have no draft picks. You're the one yeah. thing we have. I'm not, tra- I'm not trading you. Like, it's like the, the guy who only has money to get girls gives away his money. No, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> you you got to keep, you got to keep that one asset that you have. So I don't think he's getting moved, but I definitely recognize that, you know, he should make his voice be heard. If he doesn't get moved, at least get the coach that he wants. Yeah, it's going to be harder to move him than Carson Wentz and probably some other quarterbacks over there. So, all right, let's keep the applause going before I throw my tomatoes. Go ahead, D. So for my round of applause, it actually goes to the NFL. Hmm. Um, I was incorrect. I was worried about the expansion of the playoffs, right? Because for you guys who don't remember, long time ago, last year, we used to have six teams per conference instead of seven. This year was the first year of the seven-team playoff per conference year and I loved it I loved having six wild card games uh it might not you spouse might I love it if you're a football fan you watch football literally all day Saturday and Sunday they might not be a big fan of it but if you love football there's nothing better than six playoff games over two days Mm. and most of the games end up being good right the Bears Saints wasn't that entertaining um but you have the other games that were good and you Six games, you can't beat it. Six quality games with teams that are playing for it all. I love it. I was wrong when I was skeptical of adding those extra teams because I thought we might have bad teams. That's Now, Chicago isn't the best, but looks like you'll have seven quality teams per conference, you know, year in and year out now. Yeah, and I'm not busting on you, Nick. Other than the NFC East, you know, every team was 10 and 6, 11 and 5. So it still was legit. You're getting the best of the best, and I love it. And you guys know I pat myself on the back a couple of years ago for writing that article. So you know that I'm on board with it. Nikki, did you enjoy it? I did. I texted you. I think I texted you guys, right? In the group text, I said, yeah, hey, I really like this. Um, I was skeptical too, D. Like, I was like, oh, man, are we just going to get like a few teams that just shouldn't shouldn't belong? NFC East aside, I get it, but I, I really did love it. And thankfully I'm married to someone who's equally a huge football fan. So it's no problem there, but I mean, it was great. I literally all weekend just sat and watched games. It was the best. 
Yeah, worked out well. Uh, you know, for both of you guys, uh, Nikki for your husband and Damien, obviously for you, both of you guys, Super Bowl picks are still well and alive. And we'll be talking about that more after I toss my tomatoes. And I could have gone in a lot of uh, the same ways as you guys did um, with the play calling, with the with the uh, coaching flags, with the red flags, just the coaching decisions in general. But I'll just go to the Seahawks. It was mostly their offensive line, but flat out them. It was a bad game. Russell Wilson was, was completely and totally frustrated. It looked awful. Uh, the O-line just had nothing. And uh, yeah, we're talking about the number one defense in the league and guys who can get at you with, you know, only four players and all that. So absolutely, totally understand it. But at the same time, you got to show up and they just looked dead. They looked dead meat. So the Seahawks, all this talk, they were undefeated in the beginning. Russell Wilson, not his fault. He had to press too much. They don't give him protection. DK Metcalf, I'm sorry, dude. Again, you're not a top five wide receiver in the NFL if you're going to get shut down every time you face the top corner. You're supposed to beat those guys, and I believe Devontae Adams is going to beat Jalen Ramsey a little bit on this weekend. We're going to talk about that when we come back in 60 seconds from now. You're listening to the 3rd and 3 podcast, coming back with our ranting recap. Children To letter J in the alphabet. It's amazing how fast it moves. We're on season three, episode six already. It's amazing. Damian, Nikki, J in the house, third and three podcast. Shout out to the sports column. Thank you to Anchor Radio. We're ready to go. It's time for ranting recap. Nikki's favorite segment where she gets to just blast off. She's already been blasting off, but we're going to blast off some more over here. All right. You guys ready to go over last week's games or what? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. All right, I figured we go a little, uh, you know, we'll do AFC, then we'll hit the NFC. The very first game was Bills versus Colts. And I got to tell you guys, just right off the bat, I thought the Colts outplayed the Bills. You know, Indy, like I said before, became the first team, 450 yards of offense, no turnovers in the game. Head coaching mistakes by Frank Reich. You know, the Colts are up 10-7. They can't punch it in in the end zone. Reich goes for it. Bills stop him. Three points left on the board. They'll score a touchdown after that. So it could have been a big swing by halftime. Then the offside call, fourth and three. There was so much going on, not just Frank Reich, but the players having a little mind kerfuffle at the end, whatever you want to call it, gave the Bills the first down. Look, like I said, I think that the Colts actually really outplayed them in the defense. 27 points is a lot, guys, but not really for the Bills. You know, they're more in like the 35 range and they can score up there and it seemed like the Colts really were able to play against them tough. And Phillip Rivers was doing his job. The defense was doing their job. It might have been the best game of the weekend, Dean. And, um, I, you know, me, I, I like the Colts. They're one of my AFC teams. I love the Bills also. So either way, I win. But I, I found myself rooting for the Colts in that game as the underdog. 
and the team that seemed to want it more. Yeah, I definitely understand that. And I agree with you that the Colts outplayed the Bills in this one. They left seven points on the board. So right. you mentioned the fourth and five or fourth and goal from the five where they went for it instead of just kicking the chip shot field goal. They missed the field goal. And then they had that crazy decision where they score. They're down once they're down one score. And there's a penalty where the ball gets moved up to the one if they decide to go for two and they go for it and don't get it. Mm-hmm. And the benefit is to go down six so that if you score again, you can hit the game winner on the extra point. Right. Or the risk, which they had to deal with, is going down eight, which it didn't make any sense to me at all. Like, why would you go for it there when the risk of you not getting it is going down eight to now where if you do score, now you have to hit a two-point conversion just to tie the game. It just didn't make sense for me at all on those type of plays. We mentioned the challenge. Um, and also, they probably shouldn't have gotten even that last Hail Mary because that was a fumble on the play where it was a fourth and I want to say fourth and 10. They can, they completed it and the wide receiver got up and the safety for the Bills made a great play, punched the ball out, and it was right as he was getting up. So I guess they were saying it was too close to call to overturn it for a fumble as they called it down on the field. But there were a lot of things that went into the Colts losing, but it wasn't the Colts. It was head coaching decisions, missed field goal. They left seven points on the board and lost by three. Uh, another thing that really stood to me, stood out to me in this game is if this was Josh Allen from last year, the Bills lose this game. Yeah. Like they they lose this game and they might lose by 10, 13, 14 points if it's last year's version of Josh Allen. So they definitely needed this year's version who took that quantum leap, 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 leap. I was waiting patiently. I'm like, when's he going to do it? We're talking about the Bills. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but they definitely needed this version of Josh Allen. Josh Allen to make some incredible throws. Like the throw he made to Stefan Diggs mm. in the first half where it was like a – I want to say it was maybe a 37-yard game, but he threw it maybe 45 yards. Yeah. If you watch the throw, he doesn't use his legs. Like, he's literally standing, par- his, his feet are parallel to his shoulders, and yep. he just flings the ball down the field. So anybody who's ever tried to throw a football, to throw it 40 yards without using your legs is crazy. Like, it's yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can explain how nuts that is to throw the ball that far without using your legs at all. And he just flings it like he's, you know, throwing a little five-yard, you know, playing catch with his little kid, throwing it five yards when he's throwing it 40 yards down the field. His arm talent is nuts. Uh, the play where they did a, a QB power, it was supposed to be a running play, and he flings it into the end zone because the tight end just happens to sneak, pack, sneak back there, and he just throws it. Yep. And this literally flips like it's a kick <laughs> to the tight end in the end zone. He just made some unbelievable plays in this game. So Josh Allen is the MVP for the Bills, or you can say Frank Wright for decisions he made that helped the Bills win and cost the Colts the game because Frank Wright by himself cost him four points. I, I totally agree with you, Nikki. I, I couldn't agree more. The Colts outplayed the Bills. Uh, the Bills made the better decisions, obviously, coaching-wise. And, yeah, Frank Wright to me is the reason why they lost the game, and that surprises me because I like him as a head coach. I think he's smart. Maybe he had, you know, some hiccups in the playoffs. I don't know what it was. Was he scared going into Buffalo? I don't know. But 
Yeah, I, I blame him more than more than the players. Yeah, I mean, for the Colts, this was just like your classic, like self-inflicted wound game, right? Like you just keep shooting yourself in the foot. Like, you know, you failed to score on two red zone trips, drop passes. I didn't think Rivers was all that accurate. The freaking play calling. Like, I don't know. You're leading 10-7 late in the first. You're fourth and goal from the four yard line and you keep the office. Like if I was a head coach, I guess I'd be conservative. You take the freaking points it will come back to haunt you take the points and I, what do you go and say oh analytics I don't know you know what you're a coach don't you have any instincts or feel for game flow I mean I don't know I think you take the points so I definitely didn't like that and um I thought so I don't know Buffalo's defense worries me I think they're in for a rough ride against the Ravens but like I said, I think for Philip Rivers, it is time. You guys know when we had this Hall of Fame debate, I said it's more of a Rivers problem than a talent around him problem, why he can't get to the next level and actually win a championship. I think if you look at this game, you would understand that. So here we are again, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. You have a lot of talent around you and you still can't get it done. So good on the Bills. I'm glad that they pulled out the win. Yeah, it sure sounds like it. You <laughs> definitely, but all right. So whatever it is to Philip Rivers, I mean, look, it happened. That could be it for him. And like you were mentioning before, when they didn't go for the field goal, both of you guys, look, they were at the one yard line. They got pushed back to the three, three times. You don't get it. Go for the freaking field goal, man. Take the points. Understand, like Nikki said, get the flow of the game and know what's happening. All right. So uh, speaking of flow of the game, the next game that we had, didn't have much of a flow at all, especially offensively play calling. And I was calling it out on Twitter, if you guys are watching it all. I did not like what Greg Roman was doing for the Ravens. The final score was 20-13. to 13. The Ravens won. Um, Titans jumped out on top, 10-0 quick. An amazing catch by A.J. Brown in the end zone. I thought it was just bad play calling, broken plays, and what saved the day is the reigning MVP, Lamar Jackson, especially that 48-yard touchdown run, totally broken down. He had six uh, Titans around him, ran for the touchdown, gave them some juice. As for the defense, domination over Derrick Henry, held Tennessee to 13 points, which is not normal. The Titans score a lot more than that, but you got to give it to the Ravens all around, except for Greg Roman. Again, I don't like the play calling it was Lamar Jackson improvising, doing it with his feet, catching on more in the second half and whatnot, and the defense totally dominated that game, Nikki. I know your husband is happy about it. So, really, I saw complete domination from the Ravens and a team in Lamar Jackson who finally got over the hump and won his first playoff game from here. I'm not saying they're playing with house money or anything like that, but they got a swag and a confidence going right now. Yes. And, you know, that's a lot to have that momentum your way, that swag, that confidence. He got the monkey off his back. Finally, he kept talking about it. Um, yes, I would say to start the play calling was like, I don't know, we're watching this game. It's like, oh, shoot, this is really going to this isn't going to go well. Right. But you could see it was right before the half and you can see the Ravens made it in game adjustment 
almost, it took a minute, but you could see where they started to use misdirection. They started pulling alignment. They started making that one guy miss. And then Lamar Jackson would just take off. Once they figured it out, like right before the half, and you can see where they do it, that's where they turned it on. So I think it took them a minute to kind of get there, but yes, defense, complete domination, totally shut down Derrick Henry. And uh, my Super Bowl pick is still alive. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. As is yours, Damien. And that's the thing. They were relying on Derrick Henry to, you know, keep Lamar Jackson off the field and, you know, to run him up, go for 150 yards and a couple of touchdowns as he had done on his team before. But you know what? You learn something after a few times of playing a team and they got to stomp on their logo this time. Yeah, that was a hell of a stomp they did on the logo there. Uh, <laughs> but for me, one thing that I noticed is the in-game adjustments, like Nikki mentioned, not only on offense, but defense. So you mentioned A.J. Brown making some great catches in the first quarter that helped Titans get up by 10 points. They switched from having Humphrey on A.J. Brown to having Marcus Peters, right? Yeah. And I think Humphrey yeah. is the better overall corner but Marcus Peters has different traits in his game, like being more of a ball hawk, being a little quicker, a little faster, that changed the game. Because they're still stacking that box. They're like, we're not going to let Derrick Henry beat us. Ryan Tannehill, you have to prove to us that you can truly do this in the postseason. And he didn't. Ryan Tannehill did not show that he's worth the contract that he got last offseason. Now, the regular season, Ryan Tannehill played well. He did. But you have to attribute that to a lot of, well, you got a 2,000-yard back, play action we have to respect it we have to you got a guy who's running for 2,000 yards so it's going to make it a lot easier for your quarterback to make plays this game the running game's not there play action is not there what are you going to do he didn't show up Um, if you watch the play where the Ravens came out and stumped on the logo A.J. Brown was wide open if he looks to A.J. Brown's side that's the touchdown Mm. but he never looked over there Threw the ball to, I don't even know who that wide receiver is, but he threw the ball to the wide receiver that Marcus Peters was on that particular play. Peters beats him to the ball, easy interception. Ravens come out and stump on the logo. So I was really disappointed in Tannehill in this game, but I like the adjustments that that defense made. Offensively, the Ravens, I thought that the key play in the game was third and seven into the first quarter. So Titans are up 10-0, third and seven for the Ravens. If the Ravens don't get that third and seven, all momentum is continuing to go with the Titans. Mm-hmm. They get to have the defense come right back on the field, have less time for the defense to adjust. I think that really changed the game. Them getting that third and seven it was a play where he had to scramble to the side and he ended up finding Mark Andrews on the sideline. Another, like I said, it wasn't, you know, the offensive coordinator. It was more of Lamar Jackson improvising. Exactly. Like you mentioned. Exactly. But, and that was a hell of a throw, man. Unbelievable play. Yeah, yeah, great play. Great play by Lamar Jackson. And that play, I think, set up the rest of the game. Because from that point forward, the Ravens dominated. So I, the Titans, and the funny thing about the Titans is we were worried about their defense because their defense hasn't been good all year. Their defense showed up. Yeah, you, yeah. Hold, you hold them 20 points, you expect the Titans to win that game. So it's all in the offense. And I think a lot of it is on Tannehill for not coming through when the, they're daring you to throw the ball. We're not going to let Henry beat us. You got to beat us with a throw, and they couldn't do it. Yeah, and you know what? That's the benefit of having two great cornerbacks, two of the best in the league, and Humphrey and Peters, like you mentioned. That's what's going to make them tough moving forward as we get into it. Let's go to our next playoff (laughs) AFC game, the last one. All all I got to say is 
when I started watching this game is here you go. Fucking what the fucking fuck? Who the fuck? Fuck this fucking how did you do fucking fuck? <laughs> Sounds like me at work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's exactly what I was thinking. It was 28 nothing before I can blink. I the, first, the first thing that came to my mind is that the very first play of the game reminded me of the Super Bowl with Seattle and, and the Broncos when uh, uh, Denver had the ball first. It was snapped over Peyton Manning's head. That was for safety. The Browns went for a touchdown. I mean, unbelievable. First snap, you just felt that it was like momentum all the way. Then they get the picks. Jarvis Landry with the touchdown. Just amazing this one was a td and all hell broke loose after that tomlin on the other hand you know because i really want to kick it to you guys i was you know when you're down 28 nothing and then 35 to 10 i mean you know how much are you going to do ben roethlisberger threw the ball 65 68 times whatever it was but when when they were in the game when they had a chance to get back tomlin should have gone for it on fourth and one 12 minutes to go in the game in the fourth quarter, they're down 35 to 23. That was the time you get that first down, fourth and one. I know it was not the greatest position on the field, but you got to hope and pray that your front, that, that your offensive line can move these guys back a yard. Maybe they weren't doing it all game. I know they don't have a great run game, but big run. Ben Roethlisberger is a big dude. You think he can get that? So I didn't like that. It left it 35 23. The Ravens, uh, excuse me, the Ravens, the Browns score again. So I'm not putting this on Mike Tomlin at all. This was just a hot mess and one of those games that you can never really see coming in the fashion that it did. And the final score again was 48 to 37. <laughs> I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Damian, had what, four touchdowns, four interceptions, and 506 yards. So I've never seen a stat line like that in my life. Yeah, no, it was definitely nuts when you look at the stat line to see that. And that's the play that you that you talked about. That was, for me, all I needed to see. Yeah. Fourth and one, you're down by two possessions. You're trying to claw your way back into this game. You have the momentum. That's the difference between this game and what happened to Denver in that Super Bowl some years back. Denver never had a chance. Like, they never got a chance to get back into that game at all. Seattle just dominated from start to finish. In this game... Cleveland hit a dry spell yep. and Pittsburgh was clawing their way back. And it was in the back of everybody's minds. Is Cleveland really going to blow this? Hmm. It was, it was definitely there. Like that feeling was there in that moment. If they make that fourth and one, I think Cleveland blows this game. Cause they make that fourth, they make that fourth and one, they go in the score. Then it's a one possession game. The pressure is on you. You got a team that hasn't been there before. Going against the big, bad Pittsburgh, still his big brother. You got the whole, the Browns is the Browns. All that is going on, but you decide to punt it. Not only punt it, you do the whole thing where you try to get them all size on the punt. You take the delay of game. Go fourth and one, your season on the line, you're trying to claw back. If you don't think you can get that, go home. <laughs> that's, that's what it showed me. Like, if you don't think you can get that, or you don't think you should at least try to get that at your, you know, your own 45, go home. At that moment, I was like, okay, this game's over. Cleveland's going to score. That's what happened. It was over at that point. So that was really disappointing for them not to go for it there. Uh, a funny moment for me is when the ball got snapped over Ben Roethlisberger's head, him and James oh Conner. Oh, my God. Yep. 
<laughs> going back there to get it. And they both look at each other like they want the other one to dive on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then and then they mess up to where Browns get a touchdown. Like the worst uh-huh. thing that should have happened should have been a safety. Like either you get it down at the one <laughs> or you like punch out the end zone on quote unquote accidentally push out the back of the end zone. Yeah, but kick the damn somehow, thing out. Whatever you got to do, man. Ben, Ben's like, yo, I'm 38, man. I ain't jumping on that shit. James, you get that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was definitely that moment where you tell they looked at each other and James kind of was like, okay, I got to go get it. And at that point, it was too late. Yep. So that was, like I said, it was funny. Then the, the interceptions that were being made by the Cleveland Browns are incredible. Some of those diving catches were really good. <laughs> really good catches by them. So, yeah, everything just went Cleveland's way. But I do feel like Pittsburgh had a chance, and he just forfeited it away when they decided not to go for it on fourth and one. No, there's no doubt. I'm with you. That's where the game – that's why I mentioned it. I had it written down specifically in my notes. That was the reason right there. And that, that's why they lost, because he didn't have the you-know-what Tomlin at that moment for whatever reason to go for it. And, Nikki, I know th- this game shocked us all. You know, we all had – Pittsburgh. the whole world had Pittsburgh, basically, unless you live in Ohio – so congratulations to them. And, uh, you know, Lamont and Ashley, you get to enjoy another week. But, I, I, I mean, how shocked were you seeing the score 28 nothing in the first quarter and then the aftermath of what happened? I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And, of course, my husband was, like, so happy because he wants, wanted Cleveland to go to Kansas City. Um, so, you know, I was like, all right, cool for you. Um, truthfully, I think it was like after halftime, I did go to bed. I was like, all right, screw. I don't really care. Like I cared, but I was just like, this is going nowhere. But you know who I blame this game on? I blame it on Juju because he brought the bad Juju. And if you're going to run your freaking (laughs) mouth, then you best back it up. And you didn't. No, no, he definitely didn't. A lot of people are on him right now. They're looking at uh, Chase. Listen to me. Chase uh, Claypool, who had a couple of touchdowns in that game. Deontay Johnson is a better route runner. You know, I don't I don't know what you want to do. They got they got a good wide receiving court for the most part. But I don't know if Big Ben's going to be there next year. But anyway, they're out. The Browns move on. They're going to play Kansas City. Like you said, we're going to get into that playoff action later. Let's get to the NFC now, guys. The first game. Uh, that I want to go through is the Rams who won 30 to 20 over the Seahawks in Seattle. And basically the reason for this game, Nikki, and we talked, we love Russell Wilson, but the reason why we did all that breakdown last week is to see who wins in what category, who's better where. And it was really the Rams across the board, except for quarterback, which happens to be the most important position on the field. But bottom line is two things I want to say, and then I want to kick it to you guys. All right. One is that nothing against Wolford, but when Goff came in the game, I felt much better about the Rams' chance winning because he knows the offense, even if they run the ball a million times, which Cam Akers did an incredible, incredible job with. It was phenomenal. And so I felt more comfortable even with Goff with his bad thumb, and I know he made a few bad plays, but again, that's his team. He understands how to run it. And just the fact that Seattle looks so distraught, and I can't take DK Metcalf getting shut down by every good corner in the league. So I'm looking at Seattle. I'm like, you guys are falling off. You got things to do. You got a lot of room to make up. And the Rams, who are quote unquote inept on offense, still put up 30 points against that Seattle defense, who we all thought was getting better, Nikki. 
Yeah, I thought so. I was pretty disappointed uh, for Seattle, my boy, Russell Wilson. But you know what? I would say, I will say that the Rams defense really, really picked up the slack for the lack of quarterback play. Um, And I think, listen, this is the third time that Russell Wilson has had a crack at the Rams defense and he can't figure it out, but I think it's just a bad matchup. The Rams are designed to take away that explosive play. And that's just a bad matchup for Russell Wilson. And you combine that with his offensive line that tries to get him killed all the time. It's just not a good formula. So I was bummed, but man, the Rams defense, I know they're banged up right now, uh, but they really, really came to play and they picked up the slack. Yeah, speaking of picking up the slack, I mean, Aaron Donald went out and it, they didn't miss a beat. They they went absolutely nuts. They were still getting after the quarterback, controlling the line of scrimmage, Damian. And it looks like that Donald is going to be coming back this week. I don't know if he'll be on like a play count or whatever you want to call it. But that defense, no matter who they're playing, that's a problem. Yeah, no, that defense is great to be able to shut down Russell Wilson in that way, even though we saw Russell you know, struggling throughout the last part of the year. We've made the jokes about him overcooking his food. And in this game, we saw that, you know, some more with the Rams and how they were able to force Russ into mistakes. That pick six was beautiful on that quick screen play. Oh, my God. Wow. It's like he was he's like he was in the huddle. I don't, amazing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how he knew to split the defenders and get there that quickly. He read it perfectly. Uh, and with, with Russ or with that defense, the way they were able to shut down Russ, you just can see that the offensive play calling wasn't there. It's not a shocker that their offensive coordinator got fired not so long after the game. It's something that with Russ, you have to wonder if it's, is it all a play calling or is it that teams adjust to him throughout the year? And that's something that Russ is great. Don't get me wrong, but that is something that we have to question going forward and seeing if he can win when it's not, you know, an incredible defense along with him, incredible running game. Can he win when it's all on his shoulders? We've seen him perform, but can he win in these big moments? And he definitely underperformed in this game, 11 for 27. That's just nasty. When you yeah. think of a quarterback of his stature, he got outplayed by a quarterback without a thumb. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you can't have that happen. Uh, it's not like Jared Goff was awesome, but he was just, you know, okay. He knew he had a good defense. He didn't make the big mistake that would cost your team and Russell Wilson. All he had to do is not make the mistakes because it's not like the Rams offense was killing and, but he made those mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. He made the mistakes again. He felt pressured uh, basically since halfway through the season. And I can't say enough about Cam Akers and the job. And, you know, again, the, you know, calling the plays like Sean Rivek does. He obviously you're not going to throw it a ton with the guy with a bum finger, but he had the right running place. He knew where to exploit, and they got the job done. The Rams move on. They play Green Bay. We're going to be talking about that one soon. The Bucks. here we go, who won against Washington in Washington, D.C. Uh, Brady looked great with A.B. and Godwin. They're clicking. Uh, with The offensive line looks fantastic. And uh, I don't know. I got to say, they won Chase Young's challenge over there, uh, Damian. So, um, from what I saw, yeah, Washington, they just they couldn't get home. Um, Tampa Bay's offensive line was extremely ready for it. Uh, they stuck with the run as much as they could just to keep the balance there. But Tom Brady looked really good in this game. And I know you don't want to hear that as they're coming to town next week, but 
sticking with this one over here. It was 31-23, so it was still only a one-possession game. Um, attributed that to what you really want. I didn't see much out of Washington that kept him in the game. To me, it was kind of weird that it was that close. But to me, it looked like the Bucks really got things under control. Yeah, now the Bucks look good. I, for me, I said in this game that TB, Tom Brady, got the win. But T. Henney, Taylor Haneke, got the respect. He did. <laughs> uh, he, was, he was excellent in this game. And he's gone in there undermatched, you know, with this Washington team and kept it close. Like you said, it made no sense the fact that this game came down to the last possession and a fourth and 21 where, he, you know, he threw it up to Logan Thomas. And if Logan Thomas catches that ball, no, you know, no telling what we're talking about right now. But for me, the offense of Tampa Bay looked really good. When they commit to the run, it makes a big difference. Uh, Leonard Fournette had a really good game, not only you know running the ball, but catching the ball out of the backfield. You mentioned how Tom Brady looked really good. A.B. looked really good. Uh, Godwin needs to catch the ball. Um, but he couldn't catch a cold for some reason yeah. on Saturday night. Um, but for Washington, uh, Taylor Henneke looked really good. Uh, outside of him, he had Sims, like you mentioned, one of the Sims and Wims and all those guys out there. Cam <laughs> Sims, he looked really good. He's absolutely had a connection with um, Henneke. But Tampa Bay did what they're supposed to do. It's a little alarming that it was this close with a 7-9 team in Washington that got to the playoffs because a fired coach threw a game. But you, you know, you just got to move on. It doesn't matter how you move on. You just got to move on, and we'll see what they do going forward. Yeah, that's it. Um, you know, you call it the road, call it what you will. A win is a win. And, uh, you know, I can understand. Again, look, the Bills won 27-24 when the line was 6.5. And, and it just to let people know, when a line is 6.5, they want you to bet the team who's favored to win by a touchdown. It's all a joke. You have to read into it. Look at the line of scrimmage. That's just something maybe I'll give you on the uh, on the solo podcast another time about the little gambling insights and outsights. But, Nikki. Tom Brady, 506 years old, came out, played a great game uh, against Washington, who was young, thirsty, hungry, everything, ready to hunt Tom Brady. But again, that offensive line really stood up, which is going to make a big difference in the next game when we get to the divisional round. Yeah, well, he is pretty damn fine for 506 years old. So, <laughs> um, you know, I don't mind looking at him. Not at all. Yeah, no, my, my biggest takeaway was I re- and I know Tampa Bay is a great offensive line, but Washington has a really good defense. And I just thought that they would get more pressure on Brady much earlier in the game to get him rattled because that's kind of the blueprint and they didn't do that and I think Brady took advantage of the lack of pressure early um and then you know what we're seeing we're seeing playoff Brady and you know what I love about him plays a great game gets on his press conference and he says they didn't do enough it wasn't good enough they have to play better they have to do better you know what I like that I like the grit the drive that's a little bit of New England that's a little bit of Tom Brady so I I love that about him like no matter matter how great you are it's still not enough I, yeah I mean you, you talk that's a competitor obviously right there somebody who's obviously willing to do anything go the extra mile whatever you want to call it any cliche that can come out of your mouth and the same exact thing could be said for the Saints quarterback Drew Brees for people who don't know because he's got that calm demeanor but when you see him Damien you know this better than anybody when you see him before game time pumping him up with one with the two with the three with the four and all that but 
he's really a true, true competitor at heart. And that's why he's still playing ball. He wants another Super Bowl so badly. He can hang him up. He can go to CBS or NBC, whatever freaking network hired him. But look, they pull it out 21 to 9. I want to save you for last because, I, I, you know, I really want to hear the insights on this one. But the Saints obviously lights out on D. But I expected more from Kamara. Um, you know, Thomas did show up, Michael Thomas, that is. Not as much Emmanuel Sanders, whatever, and whatnot. But I thought they would score more points against the Bears. And before I give it to Nikki and we let you finish it off, uh, Damian, the funniest thing about that game, obviously, is Jimmy Graham catching a one-handed touchdown with no time left and just saying, shit, my season is over, and ran into the freaking tunnel. I thought that was absolutely hysterical when <laughs> he did that. It really was. He's like, well, that was for nothing. Thanks a lot. Here, we don't need to kick the extra point anymore. <laughs> that new rule in 2018. <laughs> he just ran out, and that's where he made his uh, That's where he made his name, was in New Orleans. He was, you know, awesome over there. So I want to get to you, but Nikki um, – before we get to the Saint in the house over here, what did you think of that game? What did you think of the final score? 21 points from the Saints at home. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's a playoff game. I know, D, you said you texted earlier. You were a little bit nervous. Jay had a great point. Like, listen, doesn't matter who you play. It's the playoffs. So uh, did you guys know that the Bears only converted one of 10 third downs and they didn't do it until that final drive? Yep, like, that's <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable right to me the bears just look completely overmatched and we always talk about the eye test and i think sometimes you know the box score doesn't tell the whole story um you know listen come on chicago back into the playoffs Saints are a damn good team damn good defense and uh that's all i would say i would never dream to go into technical analytics on the new orleans saints <laughs> <laughs> say that for our head coach no doubt no doubt and speaking of the head coach you know he he's he's invisible on the sideline but he's really there his soul is right there right next to Sean Payton making sure everything <laughs> goes right Damien our man over here resident Saints fan 21-9 it was really 21-3 I don't even count that you know BS touchdown at the end whatever it was but yeah again a defense absolutely lights out against an offense and let's not kid ourselves all right, they were playing really well for the past four weeks with Mitchell Trubisky. They were scoring 30 points. However they were doing it, they were doing it. And that's all that matters, whether it was David Montgomery, Allen Robinson, Mitch Trubisky with his feet, whatever. They were scoring. The Saints stopped them from that. Their defense, again, so on point. They're, they're excellent on defense. But does anything worry you about the offense, Damian? And then I want you to go into this whole game. Um, offensively, I'm not worried. I feel like the Bears defense did a good job in that first half, bringing pressure. And we had some opportunities that we missed there in the first half as well. Uh, once we got our groove in the second half, we controlled the ball pretty much the whole second half. Like at one point, the time of possession in the second half was 17 minutes for the Saints to four for Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was a dominant performance by the offense in the second half. We could have scored more, but we just took our time doing it pretty much in the okay. second half. Um, and I thought that the difference in the game, honestly, the first half, the Bears defense is doing a good job. The Bears ran this great trick play. They line up in the wild card, the yeah, the wildcat, excuse me, formation, and do this, you know, half uh, reverse double lateral play to get it to Trubisky. Trubisky launches it to Wims, and yep. it goes straight through Wims' hands. Oh my God. 
I was like, when he launched it, I was like, oh, this is about to be a touchdown. This is about to be a touchdown. Perfect I knew they throw. ran it perfectly. And it was a perfect throw. And then boom, drop. And pretty much from that point on, we dominated. So I think that was their last little hurrah there to try to score. They weren't able to run their normal offense. David Montgomery is a big part of their offense. Like if he's running, that's when the play action comes across. That's what Trubisky is really good at. That's what he excels at is the play action. But David Montgomery only got 31 yards rushing. So when you're not able to run the ball, that makes a huge difference. And that's how we were able to dominate defensively is by stopping the run, which limits them offensively. Uh, so for me, I think that we're good going forward. I thought that uh, the emergence of Deontay Harris as a wide receiver was really good in that game. Very yeah. fast receiver. He's somebody who's known more of a special teams guy, really great punt returner. He made all pro as a punt returner last year. Um, but to use him on offense definitely helps because now that adds another weapon along with Michael Thomas coming back. Kamara, I like Kamara running the ball more in the second half to help control the clock. So I like that performance overall. I thought it was good. And I thought that we did a good job just doing everything. And what's really hilarious about a Jimmy Graham play is that a lot of people bet the Bears at plus 11. So right. when they saw Jimmy Graham catch that touchdown, they thought for sure they was going to get an extra point to at least get the push. Right. And there's some hilarious videos of people not realizing what the new rule was. Now, of course, I know about the rule because it was on a crushing play that they decided to change the rule after the Minnesota Miracle. That's but right. You, you see, I saw a video of a guy going absolutely nuts to the fact they didn't kick the extra point. Uh, so it's that was the hilarious part about it. And Jimmy Graham obviously is still hurt about what happened in his time with the Saints. That's why he just ran off the field like that. But great game by the Saints. Not the most, if you're not a Saints or Bears fan, it wasn't the most entertaining game. But a good one, I think I feel really good about us going against the Bucks next week. Oh, you do feel really good. Okay, so a little foreshadowing action there by our man Damien, uh, the, the homer over here that he is feeling really good. We're going to be talking about that game. That was the ranting recap. As we said, Bills won, Ravens won, Browns won. Holy you-know-what. We played it all. Rams, Bucks, and Saints all move on. As we're going to move on to segment number three, we're going to take a very short break, 30 seconds, and we are coming back with Mount Playa Playa, the top four divisional round games that we have ever seen, and we're going to get to it. Again, 30 seconds, third and three podcasts. Coming back at you. Continuing with our Jays, Jamiroquai, virtual insanity. We getting insane over here. You know how we do. Third and three, back in the house. Time to rock and roll. It is divisional playoff time. But first, we're doing Mount Playa. Play a divisional time. Our top four divisional round games that we have ever seen. All right? So we are ready to get into this bad boy. This should be good. 
Last week we had a little, uh, I don't know, Nikki got mad at me. So I got a little scared, you know, talking about certain things. So you got to watch out. We don't want to hurt <laughs> your feelings over here, but uh, it is what it is. So we're going to get this going. So again, we're going to go from four to one. We're all going to give our fours. We'll go to our ones. Uh, you guys, again, can weigh in over there on Twitter. Uh, we appreciate your questions, which we're getting to after a knowledge with Nikki. So that's coming up real soon. Very much looking forward to that. And we appreciate that, guys. So here we go. Our top four divisional round games of all time that we have seen. So we're not really going back to the 70s or anything like that. Unless one of you did. We'll see. Let's find out. Number four, ladies first. You ready to go, Nick? I am ready to go. Yeah, I didn't go that far back. <laughs> My memory is, uh, oh, no. Um, yeah, so... For me, number four, so I did my like plays that like I remembered and stuck out to me. And then I went back and like watched all the highlights. And, you know, instead of working my last like hour, <laughs> highlights last Good night. So, you. Yeah, you know, uh, what are you going to do? Uh, so my number four is 2014 New England, Baltimore. Right. So this is the fourth at this point. It's the fourth postseason battle between Brady and Flacco. And if you guys remember this one, it looked like Baltimore was just going to take this, but you can't ever count Brady out as we know. So not only did he bring him Brady, bring the Patriots back from a 14 point deficit when he was down 14, nothing. He did it again when it was 28 to 14. So Brady's third touchdown comes with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter on that 23 yarder to Brandon fell. And you guys remember the fourth touchdown comes from a friggin' flea flicker bomb from Julian Edelman to Danny oh. Amendola. I remember watching this game like, Oh my God, no friggin' way. Um, that was the first time the Patriots took the lead at 35 31, which would be the final score because Flacco ends up getting intercepted in the end zone. And these two teams, like they've had some great matchups, but that one definitely sticks out to me. That's, that's a good one. I didn't even have that one on my list. I, I, I thought that you were going to go with the, uh, with the Ray Rice game where like the first play of the game, he ran out the shoot. I forgot if that, that might've been a wild card game anyway, but that's a really good one that I hadn't thought about. I like that one. Dude. Yeah, no, it's a really good one. I'm surprised your husband didn't forbid you from bringing up yeah. that game. <laughs> uh, that's probably a painful one for him, but yeah. it definitely was a great game to watch. And the them being able to come back from two different 14 point deficits and being able to be very, very creative. And it came to their throw, their plays with Edelman shows you why New England is New England has the reputation they have. Yeah. I mean, that to me, I remember in that game when they when they did that with Edelman, they were like, you know, it's really hard for us to run our offense against these guys. We got to mix it up. I remember that play and that did definitely turn things around. So that very good call right there. I like it. All right, D, what do you got for your number four? My number four also includes the Patriots. The reason I have it on my list is that I feel like this game changed an era you're down 13 to 3 it's snowing fourth quarter starts down by 10 how are you going to come back <laughs> you're going against this really good oakland raiders team <laughs> you got this young guy tom brady who you know there's no way he's still gonna be playing 20 years from now no way no way <laughs> <laughs> but somehow still is and 
He starts the fourth quarter off against the Raiders. They're in New, they're in New England. Yeah, it wouldn't be snowing like that in Oakland. In New England. <laughs> in there. And he, he leads this great drive to start to come back. And then they have another drive. They have a chance to come back. They're close. Charles Woodson, the you know, future Hall of Famer, comes off the edge, times his blitz perfectly. Tom Brady never sees him. His Tom Brady, as Tom Brady is, quote unquote, tucking the ball back in mm. to his body. Mm. Fumble. Everybody thinks it's a fumble. Yep. Till this day, no one even knew there was a such thing as a tuck rule. Because <laughs> it was a fumble. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely was a fumble. And the referee comes out and says, Tom Brady was tucking the ball back in. It's not a fumble. I still remember the look on John Gruden's face. It's, I actually had a Jerry Porter, wide receiver for the Raiders for quite a while. He was, he was a young wide receiver at that time. Didn't get much playing time, but he just remembers that game. And remembers being on the sideline. It just shook at what happened. But I feel like that game has to be mentioned because it changed everything. If they don't get that unfair call, does Tom Brady go on to be the Tom Brady we have now playing 20 years later for the Bucks? I don't know. I think that play really did change the whole era. And no, I, I totally agree. It was, it was pivotal because you don't know what happens after that. You're absolutely right. Maybe they go back to like Drew Brees or something, even though I think he was, no, yeah, he was still on the team at that point. What am I talking about? So yeah, who knows that that could have changed everything. And then of course you get to, you know, where everybody's smushing the sand, the, the snow away. So Vinatieri can kick it to get him into overtime. And then the same thing in overtime, kicking the uh, game winning uh, field goal, really unbelievable. So yeah, that was definitely on my list. I'm glad you said it because I do have a few more. I'm going to go to my number four right now. This one may be a little tough to remember. It did happen in 2012, but um, this game, again, division around, it was the Ravens versus the Broncos, okay? This game went to two overtimes. It was scoring from the get-go. Peyton Manning had three touchdowns. It was tied 14-14 after the first quarter. And, you know, this game really, it had everything. It had punt and kick returns by... Trendon Holiday, I don't know if you remember him. He's not a guy that a lot of people do remember, but he had a punt return and a kick return for a touchdown for Denver. LSU, baby. Okay, my man. He knows what he's – that's it. That's it. Way <laughs> to go. Way to go. It also, had interceptions taken back for six and a mile-high miracle for the visiting team. Fast forward to the fourth quarter. There are 41 seconds left on the clock. Joe Flacco launches – a 70-yard bomb. Now, it didn't go 70 yards in the air, but a 70-yard bomb to Jacoby Jones for the game-tying touchdown to force overtime, which, again, I told you the Ravens won in the second overtime by a field goal. There wasn't a scoring in the first overtime, but all those points back and forth, the way it happened, it kept you on your toes. Your feet, the whole, whole entire game was incredible. And then, again, for it to come down to two overtimes, with the Ravens doing that in 2012. And we all know what happened uh, for the rest of that season. So that was one game that stuck out immediately to me because I, I just remembered how crazy it was and Peyton Manning being there in his first year for Denver. So that's why I went with that one at my number four, not maybe the most memorable, but it was an amazing game. So let's get to number three. What do you say, Nick? I say let's go to 2012 Atlanta and Seattle. 
um, let's not forget prior to this, um, Atlanta, you know, used to their playoff failures, 2008, 2010, 2011 under Mike Smith. So they had to win this game, right? Like you want to save your coach's job. You got to win this, win this one. Um, at the time, like Seattle had like the best defense, right? Like they're like riding high. Um, so Atlanta, they jump out quick 20, nothing lead at the half, come back leading 27, seven through the rest of the game. Um, so in true Seattle fashion, right, even though the Seahawks didn't win, here comes the improbable comeback. And you're watching it like Atlanta. Okay, here we go. You're blowing this lead. Like, so the Seahawks score a trio of touchdowns, including that Marshawn Lynch, that touchdown plunge with 34 seconds to go. You're thinking, oh, my God, no way. History, like, repeating itself. Nope. Here comes Matty Ice, marches the offense down the field, 41 yards gives Matt Bryant the go ahead field goal for the win. And I mostly remember this because it was so thrilling. It starts off fast. Then you're like, Oh my God, no way. Here we go again. The thrilling comeback. And for Tony Gonzalez, arguably one of the best tight ends to ever do it. It was his first playoff victory after 16 seasons and five previous one and dones. Well, okay, not bad. Yeah, we're actually just went to the same year right there in uh, 2012, where I remember it was uh, Ravens and 49ers. So that was a bit of an interruption, but I remember that NFC Championship game against Atlanta. So no, that, yeah, okay, that's a good one too. Not one that comes off the top of people's minds, Steve, but uh, another good game, no doubt. Yeah, no, that's definitely a very good one. Uh, One that I thought about but like you said, it's not the one that comes top to mind. But that's why we have Nikki here, because she goes beyond the top layer. <laughs> that's right. She picks that's the random right. shit. <laughs> love it, love it. Well done. All right, D, let's get your three. All right, my number three, I might be stepping on one that you have here. This probably is a fond memory for you. Not so of a fond memory for me, but a great game. Mm. Uh, 2011 NFC Divisional Round, San Francisco versus the Saints. In San Francisco, uh, San Francisco wins 36-32 in one of the craziest games you're ever going to see. The fourth quarter was just nuts. And there was like three separate times where I thought the Saints finally had this game. And they, they did not close it out. Uh, in the fourth quarter, so first three quarters, it's a defensive game. San Francisco had a really good defense that year. The Saints had a really good offense. So you had strength versus strength. And in the fourth quarter, we finally were able to break down their defense and kind of just start scoring, right? You mentioned Jimmy Graham earlier. He had a really big touchdown that I thought was the game-winning touchdown uh, that he scored in this one. I believe it was a 66-yarder towards the end of the game, like maybe four minutes left. Um, Darren Sproles also had a big screen pass he caught in this one. I just remember his little feet moving so fast uh, <laughs> <laughs> on that screen pass. Um, but speaking of, you know, Alex Smith, who, you know, has been through so much, you forget how athletic he was. But in this game, he had a huge quarterback sweep um, that was called by Jim Harbaugh that went for, I want to say it was maybe a 25, 30-yard run for a touchdown on a QB sweep. That was a crazy play. But, of course, the craziest play was Alex Smith to Vernon Davis to win the game. Vernon Davis catching it, getting hit by two Saints, holding on to the ball. It was damn near a mirror image of when Steve Young threw it to Terrell Owens, we talked about that one last week in the wild card round against Green Bay. 
and he comes off the field crying. I just remember laughing so hard at Jim Harbaugh not being able to show emotion right, in that right. moment. <laughs> just giving, giving him the most like military type hug <laughs> that you can ever see. It definitely wasn't Steve Mariucci hugging Terrell Owens. It wasn't that same type of feel to it when he hugged Vernon Davis. <laughs> but you know Jim Harbaugh is not an emotional, isn't an emotional guy. But awesome game. Fourth quarter was absolutely nuts. And like I said, as a Saints fan, it goes to our laundry list of, you know, black, bad playoff endings. But it's one that I enjoyed watching. I look back at it now, like, what a great game. That had to be on my list. Well, bro, I, I give you plenty of props. You did it last week, too. You had guts to do it this week also in a huge game that you knew I had on my list. And you probably knew it was number one. But I have no problem with you stopping all over it because – you broke it down perfectly from Jimmy Graham's 60, yes, it was 60 yard touchdown pass. That was amazing. It was 32 29 lead. The Alex Smith bootleg, like you say, blew me away. I couldn't believe they even called that play, but it worked to perfection. Nobody touched him, nobody was near him. So, yeah, bro, it, it is my number one. And I'm sorry to say that it was against your Saints. It was not meaningful that way, but. I remember being on pins and needles watching that game. I bit all my fingernails off and my fingers. I had to regrow them back. By <laughs> it really flipped me out. And I honestly did not think that we had a chance in that game. I, as, as it went on, I'm like, after that pass to Jimmy Graham, I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. And then Vernon Davis, like you said, I'm like, no way in the world that just happened. But yeah, man, dude, look, it was freaking 23 to 17 with four minutes and change to play in the game. So you hit it on the head. All that major action, where it was 36, 30, 32 at the end, all happened in four minutes. It was unfreaking believable. So I'm with you, man. I, and that's fine with me. So you take it. I'm taking it with you because I'm not leaving it off my list. But Nikki, I, I don't know if you remember that game, but, you know, again, regardless of who won, uh, when I have a, a pissing contest over here, it was an incredible game. And I know you know well about it, too, because of what happened the freaking following week also. <laughs> yes. No, I'm I'm glad I figured one of you guys or both of you were going to have it. So I wasn't going to put it on mine. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So that's my number one. I'll, uh, you know what? I might as well just hit on my three really quick. Uh, Damien, uh, that was fantastic by you. It, it, the problem is, is that I had six written down and two of them were taken away already. So I don't want to go to my number three and I don't want to do this, man, but it, the Viking Saints, 29. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I don't want to do it. And it has nothing to do with the Saints because they played a great game and they should have won that game. And it was a miracle because Stefan Diggs never should have came down with that ball, never should have stayed in bounds, never should have got untouched. I couldn't believe that that happened. I stood up at the end of the game because, you know, I bet on the Saints. I was winning with a teaser. I was all happy and everything. And then the Vikings jumped in there and did that. I, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. So I'm not even happy saying it. But when I was thinking about the games that stood out to me, that was a big one. And I wanted to leave it really off the list. But the Raiders were taken and the other one was taken. So I, I, I had to say it, but I'm not going to go too deep into it. You know what happened, man, 2017. And like you say, man, it's unbelievable. I do believe in football gods because for some reason they have it against the Saints for a while. 2009, they must have taken like a, like a long nap or something because they won the freaking Super Bowl and they deserve to. But they probably should have won it maybe one or two more times after that, man. And they were always in there. It's just very bad luck. Yeah, man, that was 
I've never, that's the maddest I've ever been at a football game. I was watching it at my mother-in-law's house. And that was the first time she heard me curse. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I threw my hat across the room. I couldn't believe it. And the part that people forget is Minnesota dominated us most of that game. Like, yeah, they were. They were yeah, they were, Case Keenum of all people, right? <laughs> yeah, Case Keenum. They're off their defense is what was dominating us for that game. Like we couldn't score, we couldn't get down the field. And then in the third quarter, Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Kamara, they start turning it on, and we get the lead finally in the fourth quarter. And there's ten seconds left. We're like, all right, we're fine. Ten seconds left. They're way down the field. They're not close enough to do a hail mary. We got this. All we gotta do is tackle them inbounds. That's nice. it. That's tackle it. him in bounds. And he throws to Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs has to jump up very high in the air to get this ball. Yeah. So if Marcus Williams, all he had to do was trip into him, like literally just nudge him. He comes down, game over. Yeah. And he completely misses him. The worst tackle of temp I've ever seen in my life. Oh. And as he's running down the field, like I said, I'm, I'm cursing. I threw my hat across the room. And I'm just in disbelief in ultimate disbelief because I thought we had a team that could have beat Philly the next week. And Mm. I was just in disbelief, man. I still get in disbelief to this day about that play, man. It was, we definitely probably had a Super Bowl quality team that year and that play took it away from us, but a great game. Like I said, we had to come back to, we had to claw our way back into the game to do it. It would have been a great game even without that, just on the comeback alone. Then that happened on top of it makes it one of the greatest games of all time. So if you know it hurts a lot, I understand it, man. It has to be in there. It's, it's just one of those, again, it's it maybe 10 plays like that have happened in NFL history where it's been that miraculous. So, yeah, yeah, I guess it had to be on there. But, again, it has nothing to do with you, my friend. It was just one of those unbelievable moments. So, um, yeah, my number one is gone. That's my three. And we were ready to get to two anyway, right? So, Nikki, let's do two. All right, let's do two. And without – uh, the Minnesota Vikings collapsing in 2003, we would not have gotten Packers Eagles. I don't know if you guys remember that game. Oh, um, do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately Eagles were the one seed that year and they're looking for their third consecutive championship. Right. And so remember, this is when the narrative was the Eagles can't get over the hump and Nick Foles aside, they really, can't or shouldn't i'm still pissed about that game though you guys because i knew the saints could beat the Eagles, so i'm just not even gonna go there (laughs) (laughs) um Right. So uh, Packers jump out 14, nothing lead Eagles cut it to a touchdown, eventually end up tying it. Packers respond solid drive, but they call a shovel pass on third and goal from the five end up having to kick a field goal. 10 minutes left Packers get the ball back, chew up some clock. So they're facing fourth and one from the Eagles 40. Okay. So Now, at the time of this game, the Packers were fifth in rushing efficiency in 2003. Okay, so fourth and one, Eagles 40. The Packers, for some reason, they don't go for it. But instead, they try to draw the Eagles offside, fail, and burn a timeout and punt instead. And so then what happens? Eagles get the ball on their own 20, get a 21-yard run back right from where the Packers punted. And I'm sure everybody watching and Packers fans are like, okay, we're going to get bailed out now because McNabb was sacked for a 16-yard loss, right? 
Oh no, David Akers comes, ties the game. I still hate that guy, right? <laughs> and from here comes the epic Packers choke job. A holding penalty wipes out the nice punt return. Brett Favre throws an egregious interception to Brian freaking Dawkins, who returns it to the Packers 34, where David Akers kicks the field goal for the win. So what did we learn? This was an underrated choke job, and this is exactly why you don't punt on fourth and one. Oof, damn, she said it, man, right there. That Going back to what we were talking about in fourth and one in the, uh, what was it, the Indy game? Uh, or No, I'm sorry, the uh, Pittsburgh game. So there you go. Look, it comes first full circle right around. And again, I give you props for even, you know, giving the Eagles props in that one. And, and what was a great game. I remember it very, very clearly. And I was definitely rooting for uh, Green Bay in that moment because, again, I just don't like the Eagles so much. So I hear you on that one, man. Jeez, that's a tough one. Um, my number two is going to be my number one. But first, we got to go to D. Oh, man, that's a tough one to follow right there. She definitely killed it with the details. You could tell that she absolutely hated the results of that Absolutely. game. Oh yeah. <laughs> but for mine, this one was a crazy game. There was a Hail Mary in it, but the team that completed the Hail Mary didn't even win it. I'm talking about the 2015 divisional playoff game between the Cardinals and Packers. You may remember the play that got this game to overtime was Aaron Rodgers throwing the Hail Mary to it was a Jeff Janus. Yeah, I couldn't remember his name, Jeff Janus, to get the game to go to overtime. But then the Cardinals went overtime. And back then, it was before they changed the rule to where you had, you know, two possessions. So Aaron Rodgers didn't even get to touch the ball in overtime. But yeah. awesome game. You get to see the legend of Aaron Rodgers on these throws, the hell marriage. I think that it was that the year he had like three or four of those or two or three of those at least that were completed. And the Cardinals had a team that year that was really good. But with the Packers, it just shows that for some reason, when they met up against the Cardinals in the playoffs, it was going to be a crazy game. We talked about one last week that ended 51 to 45. Right. So you have those two teams for some reason, some reason match up well together and make these crazy games. And I just remember that Hail Mary being such a crazy play. I thought for sure the Packers were going to win after that. Like they got to win after this. All the momentum has to go their side to flip the the coin in the referee's pocket has to feel that the Packers are going to win this game. And it just didn't go that way, but it was an excellent game. I just remember that one being on the edge of my seat the whole time. You see, there you go. The, the ones that you remember, you know, like vividly in your mind, you could recall plays like that are the ones that really stick out and the ones that are important, whether it's to your team personally or just because you're that much of a football fan. And I totally get it, man. And that's why I picked this next one. It wasn't the greatest game in the world, it's my number two, but I'll make it my number one now since we talked about the Niners-Saints uh, game. Dude, freaking back in 2004, the sixth-ranked Steelers going against the Colts with Peyton Manning. They were the best. There's no way they're going to lose. Number one seed, all that. I was shocked against sixth-ranked Steelers against the number one Colts. Peyton couldn't do anything all game long. The Steelers are winning. They all right, let's fast forward to the fourth quarter. They have the ball at Indy's goal line, okay? When the unthinkable happens and Jerome Bettis, the bus, fumbles the ball on the goal line, you guys have to remember this, and Nick Harper, the cornerback of the Colts, picks up the damn ball, 
and he is freaking trucking. He's taking off the paid dirt when all of a sudden Big Ben sticks his big freaking arm out there and shoestring tackles Harper at around the 45-yard line, saving a game-winning touchdown, and the Colts' drunken kicker missed it from 47 yards away to go to overtime to try to save the chances in that game. But the Steelers won it 21-18 in a game I could not believe that I was watching back in the 2004 season, how Peyton just blew it and how the bus fumbled it. And that's why I always say take a freaking knee, but he fumbles at the goal line and Ben is laying on the floor and somehow he tackles Nick Harper to save a game-winning touchdown. That one blew me away. If it's your number one, guys, I feel so bad. I'm sorry. So I'll let you add on to it. If it is, I don't know. But you guys have to remember that game. That was one of the most unbelievable last few seconds of, of, of a playoff game I could remember, Damien. Yeah, no, it was absolutely nuts. I thought for sure once he fumbled that this was it. <laughs> like, he just blew it. His last year, you're thinking this is a horrible way for Bettis to go out, is fumbling the ball at the goal line, you know, no longer being a bus, being the bus with a flat tire. It was right. <laughs> be a horrible way for him to go out. It was my number one. It was my number one because uh, I just remember Roethlisberger. There's no way Roethlisberger is supposed to catch that guy. No way. <laughs> yeah, there's no way he's supposed to catch that little guy. And he did. And it was very lucky. <laughs> and Jerome like, Bettis. Back and forth on the field trying to find him. Is he this way? Is he that way? And he's on the floor. I mean, that was hysterical. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it was, oh, man. And like I said, Jerome Bettis still to this day talks about how he just thanks Roethlisberger every once in a while and says, man, thank you for making that tackle. Because, right. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to catch him and that was going to be a touchdown for them. It was going to be, the, like I said, a horrible way to end his career. But they end up going on and going to win a Super Bowl, which a lot of people still have questions about that Super Bowl. Maybe we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. Ah. But that's something that, that's you know, without that play, you don't have that. Ben Roethlisberger is probably looked at a lot differently without that play because he doesn't have that Super Bowl on his belt. I would say so, man. I would say so. They went f- uh, 15-1 and one the year before, and then they come in as a sixth seed and end up doing what they did. Unbelievable. Wow. So, yeah, Nikki, uh, I-, I know you remember that game. Is that your number one, too? Did I th- steal your thunder also? Um, You did, but that's not my number one. But oh, I do okay. remember that game. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought the kicker was drunk. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, so um, mine won't take too long. Um, my number one is the 2012 Ravens-Broncos double overtime game because oh. re- really, though, like it's more of a personal thing, but I don't recall a game crazier than that. And I just want to know, like, okay, you have the sheriff at the helm. Why did John Fox take the knee? You still had 35 seconds left, but all right, you play for overtime. So you basically said it, but in the craziness of it going on, I'm watching it. My husband's with his client who happens to be a massive 49ers fan. So they're at Candlestick Stadium. And back then, I guess, you know, a few years ago, service wasn't so great. So the whole world's watching this Ravens, you know, Broncos game. I'm trying to tax call. They're on the field. They're meeting players. Like, you know, he's no idea what's going on in this game. And you're like, oh my God, I cannot believe you're missing this. So <laughs> he could barely talk, right? 
I'm thinking, damn, like what? You didn't even like go like pee, like maybe look at the TV upset. I don't know. I don't know. I never been a candlestick, so I don't know what the layout is. So finally, like after, and I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, you got to turn the TV on. So you get a phone call hours later, right? He goes, what did I miss? My phone's blowing up. Like, what do you mean? What did you miss? Turn on the freaking TV. So not only was it a crazy game, I just personal memories remember it being like crazy and frantic because it's your significant other's team and it's an amazing game and they can't see it due to lack of service and being at another game where they're not really the biggest fan. Right. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why that game is up there. That's what, yeah, we, we had a lot of the, a lot of the same ones and there's a reason for it. You know, these games stick out and given our age, even though I'm the elderly one of the group over here, we remember these games vividly, you know, um, it's hard for me to remember anything vividly. And I know this sounds weird to some other younger listeners out there, but really from 1986, 87, I like when the giants won their, won their first Super Bowl in 86, Nikki. I mean, I'm a, you were probably born that year, right? Uh, I was born in 84. 80, oh, I'm sorry, 84. I apologize. Um, but anyway, that, that was like my first memory, you know, Phil Sims, like, you know, being perfect in the game. He went 22 for 25 or 23 for 25, whatever it was. So those are like my, you know, my earliest memories. So it's hard to remember certain divisional round games. And I don't really like to look much up, but once in a while I will just to make sure I get certain stats right or whatever it is. But that Ravens-Broncos game was absolutely ridiculous. That Saints-49ers game is ridiculous. But to close out this segment before we go to our next break, with that tuck rule, all right, so let's go back to that game because we all thought about that game. And, Damian, you were the one who mentioned it. It was 16-13, you know, obviously not a great game, but the game that changed everything. And you know that, guys, I think that Tom Brady – yeah, obviously he turned out to be a great quarterback, you know, one of the best of all time, no question about it. I understand all that, but they don't win that game. You're right, Damien. Things go maybe a lot different because the year after they went eight and eight, I believe it was, and didn't make the playoffs. And it was their defense the whole time for the most part that was winning these games. So you're right, D. I don't know if Brady becomes Brady and if the Patriots even become the Patriots at that point. Uh, without that call because it's not like they were a juggernaut offense they were based on all defense in the early 2000s yeah no it was all defense you look at some of Tom Brady's early stats in those playoff wins you'll see a lot of 175 yards you know 50 percent completion rate one TD one interception some games no touchdowns and you see him now is a lot different but those type of stats weren't going to be ones that made you say, oh, this guy is the guy if you don't get the championship. So I definitely think that moment changed history forever in the NFL. Because without that moment, I don't think Tom Brady's looked at as the guy going forward. Like you said, Drew Bledsoe, I think, was still on the roster. Maybe you go back to Bledsoe. Maybe he never goes to the Bills. Uh, Tom Brady, maybe another team takes a chance on Tom Brady. Maybe he's somewhere else. I don't think he just vanishes from earth. I'm not saying that. But Maybe he's not the guy in the Patriots. And if he's not the guy in the Patriots, he doesn't have six Super Bowls. Man, do I agree. I really do. And again, I'm really trying not to take anything away from Tom Brady over here, Nikki, even though I know that you want to as much as you possibly can. But, you know, the facts (laughs) are what the facts are. You know, maybe he had his growing pains in the early 2000s. He really hit his stride in about 2007, where he was starting to put up them big numbers and everything. But, um, and, and, and again, he did it without the greatest receivers around when he got Randy Moss, you know, they set records, but to go back to that Tucker real quick, um, 
I, I hate the rule number one because any football fan that's looking at it, it's clear and obvious that that was an absolute fumble. And the Raiders certainly got robbed in that game. And now you fast forward to what, 20 years later, you still have that rule around and it's still highly debated and questioned. Was it an open hand? You know, was it this? Was his arm going forward? To me, it's just a bunch of crap. And I think they should honestly get rid of this tuck rule thing and let it be determined whether or not he really fumbled the ball or he was actually throwing it forward with control. Oh, everybody hates the tuck rule. Like, no, that was that was the pinpoint of the defining moment in the league. And you can pinpoint it to that time. And it's kind of crazy. And yeah, you speculate, Oh, would Brady be Brady? Maybe not. Maybe not. That game goes completely a different way and we're having completely different conversations, but I agree. I, I don't like the tuck rule, but you know, I guess maybe when Brady leaves the league, maybe we'll get rid of it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe something like that. And then, uh, yeah, look, we all know what happened um, that year. Obviously, they went to the Super Bowl. Tom Brady told Bledsoe, I told you I was going to get you here. They got there. Again, not a great offensive performance, but you put the best show on turf in the league, Damian, which was the St. Louis Rams at the time with Kurt Warner and all those dudes and Holt and Isaac Bruce and everything. And, man, the Patriots shut them down. And who won the MVP? Tom Brady, he threw for 157 yards, one touchdown. I think he had a pick in that game even, and he wins the MVP. Why, why are they so reluctant to give a defensive player an MVP award in the Super Bowl? I don't get, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand that either. It has to be usually like a Seattle type performance in the playoffs or in the Super Bowl to give a defensive guy the MVP uh, when it's just totally on the defense dominating that way. But in that Patriots, you're right. And maybe they had a little help in that Super Bowl that, you know, came out a little bit later, a little spying, if you will. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, like you said, Tom Brady, I've had his argument with you for years. It's He has a lot of team accomplishments. He's the most accomplished quarterback of all time. But when you look at his full career, he didn't have the same weight on his shoulders as a Peyton Manning, as some other guys during that era. And even during, you know, his later years that other guys had because he played for such a great organization and those years had such a great defense to where he can get away with only throwing for 156 yards and winning the game against the greatest show on turf. So it's something that you have to look at. It's the greatest team sport out there. It's everybody so dependent on each other in this game. You can't just look at the quarterback's record and say the quarterback's the GOAT. It's a team sport and the quarterback when you look at their individual stats, that's what should determine that. And also what they do in certain pressure situations. Absolutely. And that's also why the eye test is a tremendous thing for me. I want to see the guy playing under what circumstances, certain things like that. That also tells me a lot with the stats. Know that about it. We'll come back with more stats as knowledge with Nikki time. Oh my goodness. Where are we going now? And also guys, we're getting to your questions. we got a bunch of them. We're going to throw them all out. Get into the next round, NFL division time. This is the third and three podcast. Glad you're along for the ride. We'll be back in 30 seconds.
song is hot right there Woo! jagged edge doing it up in the house letter j on the third and three podcast we are back kicking your ass oh man we're having a lot of fun nfl division round we are going through a whole bunch of stuff today we had a rant and recap applause and tomatoes a neighborhood news we're ready to get into knowledge with nikki and then we're taking your questions guys as we get ready for divisional round NFL Saturday, Sunday, we got more games. Some say it's the best weekend of the NFL. Other maybe the wild card round is since we got six games, but we'll leave that up to debate for another time. But this time, you know what time it is. This piece is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right, on top of it. Here we go. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right, on time is tricky. Tricky, Nikki G's in the house. Let's get it going. Are you ready, Nikki? Or what? You're going to take me and D down again? No, I don't know. You guys did, Jay did good last week, right? You guys had a good week last week. Yeah, we both did good. Okay. Good. All right. So uh, we're going to keep it divisional weekend. We're going to do uh, something a little different. So I'm going to give you the year. Then I'm going to give you the winner. You get half a point if you give me the loser and half a point if you get the score right. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you're going to give us the year. I'm going to give you the year and then I'm going to give you the winner of the game. So you get half. You have to tell me the loser for half a point and tell me the score or get pretty damn close to the score for the other half of your point. Okay. This sounds definitely tough, but D, you ready to do it? As ready as I can be. <laughs> so... <laughs> D, you have the NFC. J, you have the AFC. Oh, okay. All right. I can dig it. Let's let's do it. Who went first last week? Uh, I believe you went first last week, so I'm going to go first this week. That's right. Okay. All right. Good luck, my friend. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, D. So the 1979-80, okay, season. That's what we're going to go for the first game. So the winner was the Eagles. Who was the loser in that game, and what was the score? I'm going to say the Packers 24-20. Jay, you want to try? I was, he sounded so confident, I almost shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 1979, NFC Divisional, NFC Divisional Round. Eagles were the winner. The loser was... The Ray, no, 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 sorry, sorry. I almost got my divisions wrong. Um, Eagles defeated 79, who was really good around that time. I'm going to say, oh, wow. Um, I'm going to say it was the, the Vikings. It was not. It was not. It was the Bears, and the score was 27-17. Yeah, they had some mm. matchups. Okay. Okay. 79 down the tubes. Okay. All right. D. 
eight nine well 1888 wow 1988 the vikings won who was the loser and what was the score? Okay, 1988, the Vikings. I'm going to say that they defeated the Falcons and the score was 21 to 17. Jay? Um, I'm going to say it was the Giants and the score was... 27-20. Oh, you guys are close on the score. I don't know what to do here. But no, it was the Rams, so nobody gets that. Mm. Uh, but the score is 28-17. Well, I okay. say we both take a loss on that one. We didn't get okay. it right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, D. 1997. Tampa Bay won. Who was the loser and what was the score? 97. 97. Tampa Bay won. Okay. I'm trying to think now because now I feel like you're attacking me because I should I should have rem- I should remember this one now because it's <laughs> <laughs> so now I have to remember. <laughs> uh, Ninety seven. I'm going to say that Tampa Bay defeated the Seahawks 20 to 13. Jay? All right. So I think the Bucks, I think the Bucks beat. Panthers 20 to 6. Oh, you guys are good with the score. It was Detroit and the score was 20 to 10. Mm. You both yeah. got close. I feel like you each should get half a point for that. <laughs> All right, my well own, you're in charge. My own my <laughs> own ruling system here. <laughs> All right. You're in charge. Well, I'll say I'll it. take it. <laughs> All right, so you each get half a point. I think that's good. You guys are pretty close. All right, D, last one in the NFC for you. 2010 Packers. Who did they lose to and what was the score? Say so who did they lose to? Yep. Who did... I thought oh, they I'm were sorry. The... Yeah, who who was the loser? Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, Packers 2010. Hmm. I'm thinking back to who was good at that time. I'm going to say that they defeated 2010. Mm, tough one. Yeah. 2010. I think I might know. I'm going to say they defeated. The I'm gonna go with the Seahawks again. <laughs> I'm gonna say uh, thirty to twenty-three. Jay, I think 
they beat the Eagles 27 to 24. Uh, they did beat the Eagles. So you get half okay. a point for that, but the score was 21 16. Okay. I'll take my half a point. I'll take my half a point. Good I job, Jim. Not- Good job. That was Mike Vick uh, playing, I, b- I believe. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. All, <laughs> All right. right. So we are half a point to a whole point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the I AF. Like By the way, Nikki, I, yeah. I like this style. This is pretty interesting. You do? Okay. I wasn't sure how it was going to work, like if somebody tried to steal. But so it's new. We're trying it out. Yeah, it's different. I like it. All right, Jay. Here we go. 1970. The Oakland Raiders won. Who was the loser and what was the score? 1970. The Raiders beat. (laughs) What the hell was that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go. This is kind of a guess, but an educated guess. I'm going to say that they beat the Dolphins 21-13. Oh my God, Jay! It was Miami, and the score was twenty-one fourteen. So you get a holy Moses! Wow! <laughs> Are you googling over there? <laughs> no, my life never, not once. Would never do that. Can't, wow! Can't, can't compromise right. the tech. The, the score is a complete guess, but Woo. Um, that was seventy, uh, no less. All right. Yeah, the Dolphins were great back then, and I know they didn't win the Super Bowl that year, so that's why I gave it a shot. All right. Okay. Well, let's see how you do with 1987. The Houston. Wait, hold on. Let me get my Google set up. Yeah, get your Google up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 1987, Houston Oilers won. Who was the loser and what was the score? Um, 87, the Oilers. Oof. 1987, the Oilers. Um, shoot, come on. I'm going to say that the Oilers beat the Chiefs. 1987, I'm going to say the Oilers beat the Chiefs um, uh, like 28-17. Damien for the steal? I'm going to say that they defeated the Patriots 30 to 27. All right. Well, this one was tricky on purpose. This was back when Seattle was in the AFC. So uh, Seattle no, no, no. and the score was 23, 20 in overtime. Okay. Well, you're tricky, Nikki. For no reason. <laughs> yeah. You can handle it. No worries. <laughs> All good. Yes. Yeah. I forgot. That's right. That was a while ago. Okay. All right, here we go. 1997, Steelers won. Who was the loser and what was the score? Okay, 1997, Steelers won. Um, <clears throat> no, that wouldn't be that year. Okay, so Steelers beat 1997. I think that year... Oh, gosh, I could be wrong. I'm going to say that they beat the Patriots 28-21. Um, Damien. 
Uh, I'm going to go with the Jaguars, uh, 24-17. All right. Well, Jay, you get half a point because it was New England, but the score was 7-6. to six. Wow. Oh News best. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. another half point, okay? All right. Half points add up. All right. I'll there take them. All right. Here we go. Last one, 2007. The Chargers won, and they beat – who and what was the score? Okay. The Chargers in 2007. So I'm 27 years old. Chargers. I know it was a good team. I think it was a good team. I'm gonna um I'm gonna say they beat the Jets 31 to 16. Damien? I'm going to say the Colts 34 to 20. It was the Colts. So you nice. got half a point. Uh, score was 28 24. Uh, Not bad, D. Good one. Colts. Smart thinking. All right. Yeah, I just remember Chargers having paid Manny's number for some reason. Yeah, they did, but I, I just wasn't thinking divisional round. Good job out of you. All right. All right we did pretty good on <laughs> nice that. Nice job, guys. All right. Damien ended with a whole point. And Jay, what'd you get? One, two, two and a half. Two and a half. Okay. Good job, hey, Jay. Hey, I I say we're a team over here. D she's <laughs> tough. So you know what? I'll points together, bro. <laughs> All right. Nice job, Nikki. Very well done. Always get a clap. No doubt about it. Round of applause all the way around. Excellent job. I love it. And very cool style. I've never even heard of anything like that before, but that's why you're tricky and that's why you're Nikki. Me neither. Not till last night. I was like, hmm, let's try this. (laughs) Very cool. Very creative. And obviously not something you could just jot down. So good job on your homework over there. Well done. Very, very good. All right. Hey, this is the new segment that we're going to get into, and so far it looks pretty good. We've got a bunch of questions, and we're going to try to take as many as we possibly can right now. Guys, the first one is a basketball question, and I'm going to defer to Damien over here right now because, look, we're going to his – he knows his stuff. It's his team going to a brother of his team. This is from Cal and Jay at From the Bottom 504. That's From DA Bottom 504 asking – is LaMelo Ball playing the way everyone thought Lonzo would be playing? Man, uh, I wish Lonzo was playing the way LaMelo was playing. Mm. And uh, so Lonzo Ball is the point guard for New Orleans Pel- uh, Pelicans, excuse me. And their podcast is based out of New Orleans. And of course, when you see the younger brother of your point guard doing big things, becoming the youngest player, to record a triple double in LaMelo ball for the Charlotte Hornets, you start wondering, you know, <laughs> did we get the wrong brother, you know? Um, <laughs> and I don't think we thought Lonzo would do this. We had high expectations for Lonzo. He was a second overall pick when he was picked by the Lakers, but there was always rumors that LaMelo would be better once he came along. And LaMelo is definitely a better scorer and finisher at the rim than Lonzo. So I don't think he's playing like we thought Lonzo would play. He's playing as good as we thought LaMelo would play. He's living up to expectations. And Lonzo's improved a lot, but I don't think he's ever going to be the scorer that LaMelo is. So I don't think he's playing like we thought Lonzo would play, but he is playing better than Lonzo. And that's kind of embarrassing with him being the older brother. 
Yeah, when you're the older brother, you don't want none of that right now. Like how TJ Watts taking over the league and JJ's like, what the hell, man? I'm going to kick your ass when I get home and sort of stuff. So yeah, yeah I, I get I get how it goes. And that's very well thought out answer right there. And, you know, you know more than me. And again, it's just your team, New Orleans over here. You know, Lonzo now coming over from the Lakers and everything. So, uh, yeah, I definitely wanted to defer that question to you over there. So thank you from uh, Cal and Jay. From the bottom, 504 on Twitter. Excellent. Let's get to our next one. Ashley Elliott, a friend of ours over here at the Scoop 27 She is asking, surprise player of the season and most disappointing player of the season. Very cool. Had to think hard about this one. Um, I wrote down two for each, guys. Uh, Taysom Hill is one, but the one I'm going with is James Robinson, who surprised me. I don't know who the hell he was. He only mm-hmm. played 14 games this year, guys, and rushed for over 1,000 yards, 1,070. All right. He had 10 total touchdowns, 49 catches for 344 yards. So for a guy that I never knew who can do that kind of damage on a crap-ass dumps, fire, whatever you want to call it, every four-letter word in the book type of franchise, if he can do that there – Imagine what he can do elsewhere where they actually give a damn about their team. So he's my surprise player. Thank you, Ashley, for asking that. That's mine. I'll get to uh, my disappointment after you guys give me your surprise players. Nikki, what do you got? Um, I have the same one as you do. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I had James Robinson, mostly for the fact because he was pretty much unknown, right? And his job was just like, okay, fill the gap of Leonard Fournette. But um, he emerged as like a clear starter and fantasy football stud for anyone who had him top five rusher and exactly like you said it was mostly surprising to me because you made a name for yourself on like one of the worst teams possible absolutely yes i, I like that eh? so we totally agree right there excellent uh is it a trifecta or damien you're going somewhere else no i'm gonna go somewhere else just to shake it up uh but i gotta go with justin herbert i did not expect this i did I- not expect this guy to come in and be you know damn near a top 10 quarterback right away Throw 31 touchdowns, only 10 interceptions, uh, have his completion percentage be over 66 to have over 4,500 yards. And he didn't play 16 games, right? He came in um, very under very weird circumstances and responded right away, showed that he was the guy. And looks like he's, he's going to be the reason that somebody feels like they got the best coaching job next year when whoever the Chargers hired because he's yeah. just that great of a talent. Yeah, you know what? He definitely came to my mind. There's no question about it. And yeah, look, if he can get hooked up over there with, you know, the running backs they got and obviously Justin Herbert, like you had just mentioned, that would be pretty freaking awesome. So I certainly thought about him because I didn't see that one coming. Wasn't even sure what week he was going to play until they decided to puncture freaking uh, Tyrod Taylor's lungs. I mean, just ridiculous. Unbelievable. My uh, disappointment of the year I didn't even have to think twice about this. I didn't bother looking anybody else up. I went with Zeke right away. All right. He started 15 games this year. So I don't want people thinking he missed time. He got hurt, whatever this and that. You know how many yards he rushed for? 979. His yards per attempt went down big time. So did his uh, TD total from, uh, he had what, I think eight this year. Uh, two receiving touchdowns. He mixed, missed six full games in 27 when he did that. 
This year he had six rushing. T- it was just a mess what he did. I don't know. I think he just lost hope. I think he folded on the Cowboys. Maybe when Dak went down, maybe when they're having all this arguments with the team, maybe he didn't get along with McCarthy. I don't know. Carson Wentz was the other guy that was on my list. He definitely deserves to be there. But Zeke, just you're supposed to be a top three, top four worst running back in the entire NFL. And you look like maybe the 17th or 18th best in the league this year. So when you're paid like that and you're supposed to be the bell cow of the team, you need to show up every single game and give it your all. And every time I watched the Cowboys, it looked like he wasn't giving his all. He was giving half of his all, if that much. So I'm very disappointed in him. And he needs to have a bounce back year after getting paid that much money. So that's going to be my disappointment for you, Ashley. Um, let's see what uh, what you guys got. Nikki, you want to go with your disappointment? Sure. Um, I'm sad to have to say this because he was my guest for a comeback player of the year. But Cam Newton is my most disappointing so far. And I also took that from a fantasy approach too. So I failed it there thinking he'd be comeback player of the year. Um, but yeah, it was just a dud of a year for Cam. I mean, he had some a little bit of flash in the pan here and there, a couple moments, but it was nothing consistent through for single digit passing scores, which is miserable. Um, it's not like he had a ton of help either, but it, this just was not the Cam Newton I was expecting. You know what? And with all the young quarterbacks that are out there and the ones that are coming into the league, I don't know if he's going to get a starting job next year, to be honest with you. I really don't. And I don't see him as a backup. I don't know what happens, Damien. What are your thoughts real quick on that? Yeah, he definitely was on my mind as far as most disappointing. Uh, I picked him in our fantasy league because I thought he was going to take that that leap forward this year of, you know, just being a comeback player and being a part of that organization. He was going to, you know, thrive and just didn't. And the bad thing is he looked so great the first couple of weeks. You know, it just gave us that false hope. Uh, As far as him starting next year, unless the Patriots give him another chance, I don't see it. I don't know if another team will. Uh, you know, there's teams that need a QB, but they're going to be trying to get, you know, maybe Matthew Stafford or Deshaun Watson, like we talked about earlier in a the trade. They're not going to be looking for Cam Newton. So right, it's going to be tough, but he also, I don't think he's a guy who would not accept the backup job. So if he wants to continue to play and he gets us behind somebody who is clearly better than him, I don't think he'll be too proud to accept the backup job either. Nope, nope. He's got too much pride, and he is too good for that. Again, he did not have the offseason, no training camp, nothing like that, but it seems that he got worse as the season goes on. We'll see what the future holds for him. Ashley had one more for us, guys. Given everything that's happened to the Eagles, if you were the GM of the team, who is your choice for head coach, and what do you do in the draft and with Wentz? So – just to kind of kick it off over here, as far as the head coach is concerned, you need a guy who's in command and, again, somebody who this team is going to respect. I'm not sure exactly who that guy is. Is it going to be, you know, Ryan Dayball? Is it going to be maybe Urban Meyer? I mean, I'm not really sure who it's going to be, but they got to get a guy in there who has got some stature to him, a guy who's been around, a guy who, again, they're going to respect. And it's got to be some sort of player's coach in a way where they're going to get along. So that's first with the, with the head coaching position. As far as Carson Wentz, 
I agree he should move on. He needs to get out of Philly and start all over again. Nikki and I totally agree that he should go to the Colts. I think great things would happen with him and Frank Reich. And the draft, look, get some offensive freaking linemen, please. Go get some offensive linemen and start at the line of scrimmage because this team, in in my opinion, Nikki, they got to start almost from scratch already, regardless of what happens with Jalen Hurts. You have to protect him and you have to win the line of scrimmage. So, I know it's a loaded question. What's going to happen with Wentz? What should they do in the draft? And what would you do if you were, you know, the GM looking for a head coach? But just give me, you know, whatever your feedback is on these thoughts over here. Well, if I was the GM of the Eagles, I would sabotage the fuck. (laughs) I would keep broken ass Wentz and I would go get my boy Ben McAdoo, who I love so much before the Giants offered more money and I'd hire him. No, (laughs) I probably would sabotage them. But if I want to be objective, I guess, yeah, I'm getting rid of Wentz. He's broken. Um, Yeah, I'm definitely keeping Jalen Hurts. And you know what? How about the quarterback's coach? for the Baltimore Ravens, James Urban. Look at his body of work over the past two years with Lamar Jackson, and he's a former assistant coach under Andy Reid from 04 to 2010, Coach Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick, and he turned down the opportunity to be the offensive coordinator for the Eagles last season. So I would definitely look at him. And in terms of the draft, it looks like they'll have a real shot at Devonta Smith. I know they need an offensive line, but they need some help at wide receiver too. That's very, very true. And that's not a bad call. And yeah, maybe they will have a shot at him. I I figured they draft sixth overall. And yeah, that might be possibly where he goes. That's not a bad call right there. I like that. All right, D, what do you got to say about all this? It's tough, man, because it seems like the GM now chose Carson Wentz over Doug Peterson, Mm. right? Because there was reports that Carson Wentz wanted out, not because he had a bad relationship with the organization, but specifically had a bad relationship with Doug Peterson. So you fire Doug Peterson. Do you also get rid of Carson Wentz? Um, if I went in there, I like what I saw from Jalen Hurts. I would try to see if I can get some trade for Carson Wentz. You can't just release him outright. Um, as far as the draft, I like what Nikki said. They do need wide receiver help and O-line help. So that would be my my whole plan during the draft. Wide receiver, O-line, wide receiver, O-line. Um, and as far as a coach, I would try to go defensive for the coach. And I will look at who the Rams defense coordinator is right now. You see what he's doing with this team, uh, how powerful that defense is. And I would have that type of mindset come in and also get a really good offensive coordinator. That's a very good answer. I like that. Well done by both of you. I like that a lot. Very good. And Nikki, you did your homework over there knowing what the, that was very, very good. You went down the whole bloodline of that thing. (laughs) I I thought it was interesting. And I think that he would be a good fit for the Eagles. Um, I don't want him to come over to stay in Baltimore, but yeah, no, I thought it was just interesting little tidbits. No, absolutely. Very, very good. Well done. All right. So thank you, Ashley Elliott at the Scoop 27. We're going to move on to our next one. Drop Balls Podcast. How do you not love that name? They're asking, what position are we looking for in the upcoming draft for each of our teams? All right. So we got 49ers, Giants, and Saints, all NFC teams. Since mine was maybe the worst out of the bunch. I don't know, Nikki. We, I guess we can have an argument on that. But I'll go first uh, over here with the 49ers. Um, I don't want to draft a quarterback and start over. We're not that type of team. We're too good for that. So as far as quarterback goes, I don't want Jimmy G. Got to find somebody else. A discussion for another time. As far as the draft is concerned, I would like to focus on the secondary. 
We do a really good job up front, which covers up what the secondary is a little bit inept to. We have very good linebackers. Fred Warner made first all team. So, again, I want to make sure that that defense is solid, as solid can get. Keep running the ball, have short passes. So, while we're solid up front, our front seven, let's go get some guys in the secondary. So, Drop Balls Podcast, I appreciate that question. For the 49ers, I would definitely look defensive back, whether it's safety or a cornerback. That's where I would go uh, with my team. Damien, what would you do with your Saints? You're, you're pretty stacked over there, but um, I don't know. What if Drew Brees leaves? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking he is going to leave. And the thought process, the latest reports are that Sean Payton really likes what he saw and Jameis Winston this year in practice. And the whole Taysom Hill thing was because Jameis didn't have time to prepare through an offseason like he normally would, right? And he's looking forward to having Jameis Winston be the guy next year. So if that's true, you don't have to draft a QB. Um, and hopefully we've been able to work out the kinks on Jameis and get the interceptions out of his system, you know, for the most part. And I would go secondary. Janoris Jenkins isn't, you know, a spring chicken anymore. I would love to get another corner on the side of Lattimore. Um, if not there, linebacker Quan Alexander was very good for us, but he tore his Achilles. So he's probably not going to be back until late next year, if that. So I would try to look there as well. And if not there, you also could look wide receiver just to get somebody on the as the second guy. Because Emmanuel Sanders, he's not a spring chicken either. So you try to get somebody as that second guy behind Michael Thomas. Yeah, I thought Emmanuel Sanders was a little disappointing. When he came on with the Niners last year, he exploded and then he just kind of fell off. So he's got ability, but um, I don't know. Sometimes I think quarterbacks find it hard to see him open. I don't I don't really know what it is, but he did get his payday week 17. So congratulations on your eight catches. There you go. All right. Um, what do you think, Nikki? Giants, um, you can go a couple of different ways over here. What would you like to do? Um, I would like to go tight end, please. <laughs> <laughs> you um, hate Ingram so much. <laughs> I I can't stand him. I can't, but no, it comes from look at it objectively. He's going into his fifth season, and there's been no improvement. Like we he's the reason the season was lost. If you just caught that damn pass against the Eagles, you know, we're playing Tampa Bay last week and probably beating them. Yep. I said it. Um, but it looks like we are the 11th pick. So they probably can get Kyle Pitts, uh, tight end from Florida, who I would be super excited about six, six, 240 pounds caught 43 passes, 770 yards, 12 TDs. Um, and he got the John Mackey Award for a top tight end. So, yeah, you know what? Evan Ingram, you could take your drop passes, your 109 targets, your 63 receptions, your one freaking TD, and you could pack it up. I don't care where you go, cross the street to the Jets. I don't care. Go to the Eagles, but just get out of here. <laughs> I love it so much. I love it. That's great. That's, that's excellent. You know what? I was thinking the same exact guy, the guy, uh, Kyle Trask, who he throws the ball to in Florida. You're absolutely right. Uh, they got a great connection, and he seems to be NFL worthy. Know that about it. And that kind of goes into what um, Alexander George, uh, another friend of ours, at AG2, and then there's six zeros after that, so don't make me say zero, zero, zero. He's actually asking you, Nikki, personally, what you wanted to do with the first pick. Would you actually go tight end first pick? Would you take him first, or do you think he's a guy who may last in the second round? 
Uh, no, I don't think he's going to last through the second. No, I'm taking him. I mean, of course, we need yeah. offensive line help, but no, I'm taking him. There's a glaring issue at tight end, and it needs to be addressed because you're not you're not getting any more out of Ed- Evan Ingram because you would have by now. That makes all right. It makes sense. And you know what? Tight ends have become wide receivers slash, you know, whatever you want to call them in the league. Uh, there's a lot of great ones out there. We know all about them. We don't have to name them right now. So that's, uh, again, drop the balls, uh, drop the balls. Listen drop to me. Ball. Drop balls podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. Drop balls podcast. And of course, Alexander George, much appreciated. Let's get to our next one, guys. Cam Thurgood from Facebook. Who will be the Washington's the Washington's the Washington's football team quarterback in that Washington's eggnog over there. Yeah. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, something like that. Uh, I won't name it. We're on public air right now. All right. We're going to try to keep the explicit out of it, even though I messed it up with that big F word in the beginning. But anyway, Washington's quarterback next season. I don't know if it's somebody in the league. I don't know if they want to go after a, a Matt Stafford or, or something like that. I think maybe they look in the draft. Maybe they go after Zach Wilson from BYU. Damien, do you think they want to go young to rebuild or they want to get a quarterback in there now to hopefully win with the young nucleus they have on defense? I think they're going to go with somebody who's very cheap, who they know. T. Henney. <laughs> you got to go with Taylor Heineke. I mean, he was some, he, he balled out in the playoffs against a good Bucks team. I think you give him a shot to be a starter. I don't know if they will draft somebody, but I think he definitely has the front lead as far as the people that are there now, uh, I don't think it'll be Alex Smith. I think we may have seen the last of Alex Smith. It was a valiant effort yeah. uh, and great story. But I think we saw the last of Alex Smith. And I think T. Henney gets a shot to be the starter for the football team next year. All right. You, you know what? You may be right. It looks like he may have earned that in a very small sample size, but he definitely deserves to be in camp and try out for the job. So no doubt about it. I like that answer. Nikki, what do you think? I think it might be a trade for Sam Darnold, or do we see Cam Newton in Washington? Mm. You see, now I thought about that too, Nikki, uh, just, you know, with the Ron Rivera connection and, you know, give Cam an off season, you know, Rivera knows what he likes to do, uh, everything like that. Um, yeah, I thought about that too, Damien. I'm not going to lie. That came to mind. Yeah, no, that's definitely a very good thought right there. If Cam, if there's one place that would give Cam another shot, it would be where Ron Rivera is. So that definitely makes sense. So I think that's a good call by Nikki. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good call. I better not hear it this week, okay? He's ESPN. That's it. I'm going ballistic. (laughs) As if I don't go ballistic enough, but (laughs) I I better not hear it tomorrow. I better not. The queen of the ranting recap, no doubt about it. <laughs> this would be more. This would be more than a recap, no doubt. So forget it. You guys better watch yourself over there at your four-letter networks. Be careful. Jay, uh, do we have any more questions? Because I have a question for you guys. You know, we do have a few more, but we can come back with the with the rest of the audience questions. So you no, know, that's what? okay. Keep going. No, well, we have a couple of minutes. Go ahead. I just want to know if you guys had the chance to go back and steal the sports almanac like Biff did in Back to the Future 2, would you do it? But not knowing if you were going to alter your timeline for the good or the bad and or possibly risk somebody finding you out and altering their timeline as well. 
You bet your ass I would do it. I am taking that freaking <laughs> almanac. I'm taking that money. And if I do hurt, God forbid, anybody on the way, I'll give them anything they want to make them feel better. I swear to God, give me the money. I need it. I've been poor my whole life. Bring me the cash. <laughs> Man, I don't know if I would do it because, like you said, it could change so many different things. There was this episode of Family Matters where they had a dream about having money. But it changed everything. They didn't have a family. They didn't know each other. They just were super rich because they like uh, knew about the stock of Disney before everybody else knew about it, right? Mm. And it changed everything. Super rich, but not happy. Yeah. It doesn't bring happiness. No, that's true. That's true. So for me, I wouldn't do it because I'd be too scared to think about what it would change. I'd probably never meet my wife if I'm super rich. Wow. Because I knew all the sports betting. So I wouldn't do it. My man got deep right there. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Might have changed my mind, bro. I think <laughs> my mind on that one. All right, I got to get the decent anatomy and make take the devil off the left hand shoulder over here. All right, all right. Good question, Nikki. I like that one. Yeah, but uh, you know what? What about it's- you, Nikki? Well, uh, no, I'm taking the money. Damn everyone <laughs> in the world. <laughs> I would feel bad if I altered a timeline for somebody that I know. Uh, but yeah, no, screw it. I'm taking it. <laughs> I am selfish. I'll burn it to the ground. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Nikki, that's why we share the same brain. Apparently it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> You're the good soul. God bless you, bro. God bless you. Oh man. Hey, listen, we're not done taking your questions, guys. We got some more Hey, We have a few of our own and then we're getting to the playoff picture, NFL, the divisional round. We're going to make our picks. We're going to run down each category to see who's got the upper hand here, there, and everywhere. This is the third and three podcast. We're taking our last commercial break. 30 seconds. Hang in there, and we'll be right back. Bringing it way back, Ja Rule over there, finishing out the J section of the weekly podcast. Third three, we're back in the house, baby. Last segment of the day. We got a few more of your questions coming, and then it is breakdown time. NFL division around playoffs. We're gonna make our picks. You're gonna hear the info. Listen to it because it worked last week. You guys ready to get the last segment going or what? Yep. Yes, sir. All right, let's do it. And uh, Damien, this one is uh, apparently directed at you, not intentionally, but the question comes from, excuse me, the question comes from Conrad on on Facebook. Uh, No last name. I don't know why, but no big deal. Don't need to know it. Conrad, thank you for the question. If Drew Brees retires, what will the Saints do? 
Damian, you go first on this one. If he retires, what will the Saints do? Is it going to be Winston, or do you think that they would look somewhere else? So, like I was saying earlier, they even had a report during the Bears game, or right before the Bears game, that Sean Payton saying he's looking forward to re-signing Jameis Winston, loves what he's been seeing from him, and sees a future with Winston at QB. So I think that it will be Jameis Winston. The talent's there. We know that he has the arm talent. There's a reason that he was number one overall pick in the draft, had the success he had at Florida State, uh, and even in the league, right? And even with all the interceptions, he still has, when you look at his career stats, it's still, like, pretty good, which tells you something with all the turnovers he had. So I think that he can be the future for us. He's only 26. So he can be a future QB for us. And what's, you know, one-year flyer on him? He might only cost you $5 million next year because we signed him for one he didn't do anything. So it's not like his market's going to be high to try to get him back. So I think that that would be a good place for us to start, especially with our cap situation being so tight. Uh, we need a cheap QB. So I think Jameis Winston, a one-year prove-it deal will be where we go. I can certainly understand what you're saying with that. Look, I've never been a big Jameis Winston fan. I really never got it, to be honest with you. I was shocked um, with all the hype coming out of him. I understand he was great at Florida State, but he just never looked like the quarterback that I would want to have in my team in particular. I, I I don't know what it is. I have nothing against the man at all. Look, when you throw for 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, you're capable of playing NFL quarterback. So let's not be ridiculous over here. But I wouldn't want him to be my starter. Given where the Saints are now, guys, and Nikki, I'll throw it to you. And Damian, I want to get your thoughts after. Where the Saints are right now, ready to win, even for the next three or four years, possibly. I know they're getting a little bit older in certain areas, but – I would rather maybe go with a guy who would be available like Matt Stafford and say, let's go for it and let's try to win one in the next couple of years. Nikki, which way are you leaning? I am going to err on the side of Sean Payton. If Sean Payton likes it, I love it. (laughs) He likes Jameis Winston. I mean, but why are you going to get Matt Stafford? What is that? What is that doing for you? You think Matt Stafford gives you a better chance than Jameis Winston? I do. Yes by a huge margin I would say a fairly good margin Matthew Stafford is one of the most underrated quarterbacks I've ever seen not that I want to get into his Stafford discussion right now guys but listen he's been playing for one of the worst organizations in NFL history they haven't done a damn thing they never went to a Super Bowl in 98 years I mean they waste talent like Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson and Matthew Stafford Matthew Stafford was the number one draft pick And he had every reason to be. He's got a gun for an arm. He's accurate. You should hear the way defensive players talk about him, how tough it is, because he can make every single throw in every single play. So for a guy who's got a few years left and keep him healthy behind a good offensive line, you're damn right I would take Matthew Stafford over Jameis Winston, because Winston, I don't care what you say, he's a turnover machine. Yes, he can get the job done throwing for the yards and this and that, but he's a turnover machine. And I don't think that you can really teach that away from a player who's in his going into his sixth year. I, I just don't think so. No, I definitely hear you there, Jason. Like Matthew Stafford is, a, like I said, a very good QB cannon for an arm, but he's definitely going to be a lot more expensive than Jameis Winston. Well, sure. You're right. You're right. And but would you rather win or would you rather hope for the future? You know? Yeah. That's a, like, it's, you definitely want to win, but I don't like, I don't think it's possible for us to get Stafford. Uh, with our cap situation. Uh, but we've made, somehow we've made it work these last few years. And we've, every year you hear how bad our cap situation is going into the season. 
right. we make it work somehow. So if Stafford is available and we can make it work, I would take that chance. But with Jameis being younger than Stafford and less injury history, Stafford's been just his injury history is crazy. So not only is he older, but he has all these injuries on, you know, his body. How much longer does he hold up because he's been playing for that bad organization, trying to carry them. So with Jameis, you said the turnovers, but if he's under Sean Payton and Sean Payton's liking what he's seeing, like Nikki said, with Sean Payton, you have to trust him because offensively he's never let us down. So I have to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, that part is certainly fair. I'm not going to compare myself to Sean freaking Payton. God, I mean, hell no. <laughs> the man knows a hell of a lot. But he, he's forgotten more football than I'll ever know. So, you know, I'll definitely defer to him, no doubt. All right, that's from Conrad. We appreciate it. Let's get to our next one. We have two more before we get into the playoff action, guys. The voice of one at J-E-O-L-M-O-Z-2. I'll repeat that after. The voice of one on Twitter asks, according this is according to a report by Chris Mortensen that the fractured relationship between Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans goes deeper than just football, like not interviewing Eric Bieniemy we talked about before when they had a chance to and had they handled or not handled social injustice. Deshaun Watson obviously has a big problem with everything going on over there and he has every right to. So the voice of one asks if the relationship is fixable or broken beyond repair. I would like to hear what you guys say first. Damien, what do you think? Is it fixable or is it just completely shattered? I think it may be fixable by default, by the fact that they may not be able to separate from each other. Mm. With his contract and by the fact that they don't want it to happen. (laughs) So I think that it's going to become fixable by that. Now, will they change as a culture? Not unless they hire the right coach. Um, we got to give the GM a chance, even though the GM isn't the guy that Deshaun Watson wanted. You got to give him a fair shot to see if he can change the culture, maybe. Uh, I know the owner who made some of those comments in the years past that were very inflammatory. He's no longer here, but it's still under the same family. Right. Um, so that still may be a culture where for a league of predominantly black players, they want to play for that particular team because of that. Mm-hmm. so that could be very tough but yeah. hopefully that changes and maybe they can fix the relationship but it may be by default the fact that they can't get away from each other that it get fixed it gets fixed I, I like that answer and if it's by default then they're going to really learn they have to learn how to love each other Nikki if that's going to be the way it's going to go uh, do you think it's fixable like Damien says by default or any other way or do you think that this is just over with Watson and Houston um yeah, that's a pretty deep cut. He's not happy with the way the organization is ran, how they handle social injustice. He feels incredibly disrespected. Um, like D said, I mean, you just may have to make it work because you have no other choice. And God knows we've all been in that situation um, in our personal lives and, and careers. You sometimes just have to make situations work. But for me, if I felt disrespected like that and I'm on vacation, I'm not even answering your call. I'm not even entertaining it. Yeah. That's, Oh no, we're done. If I got to make it work, I'll, I'll do my best, but no, we're done. And I'm probably always going to harbor that for the entire time that I'm playing for you. I I get where you're at. It's, it's tough. If, if he does stay there one way or the other, it's always going to be in the back of his mind. I do say it is fixable. And the only way it really is fixable is if they finally allow Watson to have more of a say, like any elite quarterback, we talked about it before, 
You have to have a say in what goes on in the team, the players that you want, the players that you work well with, so on and so forth. That's the only way they're going to fix the situation. If Watson is an outcast to, to ownership, then I, I don't, I, the guy should freaking – he can't sit out. He just got a brand-new contract. But I don't know. He's irate. I understand why. And when you have one of the best quarterbacks in the league and who's been in for a long time, I mean, this guy is fantastic. You got you to gotta make him happy, all right? And they really upset him last year with D-Hop, and this year has been a 4-12 and uh, season. Total mess. So uh, the voice of one at J-E-O-L-M-O-Z-2. Look, some of us, think we think it's fixable, maybe by default, but um, again, with the, with the uh, contract that he has, it's going to be tough. So they're going to have to give him some sort of power over there. Guys, let's get to our last question before we get into – the final eight teams that are remaining in the NFL playoffs. This comes from Paris at PG rated FB. So imagine that's football asking what's the, Oh, this is funny. I didn't realize it. What's the best landing spot for Deshaun Watson? Realistically he or she adds on. I'm not sure Paris is a boy or girl. There was an icon. Um, So realistically now, you know, obviously we're not talking about, you know, teams that are, already there and established with the quarterback, yada, yada, yada. A few teams came to mind, guys, where Deshaun Watson could possibly land if teams are willing to give up this, that, and the other thing. Three came to mind, and then let me know what you guys think. Damien, we'll start with you. I thought of Washington, Atlanta, and New England. What do you think of any of those teams, and or do you have another team in mind that would be best possible realistic landing spot for Deshaun Watson? All three of those are good spots. They all need a QB and somebody who can come in right away and play. So I do like those three choices. Uh, selfishly, I would say New Orleans. Uh, yeah. we, <laughs> we definitely, you know, need a QB going into next year. And as much as I said about Jameis, if Deshaun Watson becomes available, <laughs> we, th- we throw in Jameis to the side. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't but, blame him. Yeah, also, you know, they talked about Miami. If Miami's willing to trade Tua, that could be something that Houston could entice Houston because you get a QB who has, you know, a lot there that's uncovered that you don't know what the potential is yet on Tua, and he could become a you know the guy in a few years if he lives up to the potential that we thought he had coming into the draft. Uh, so I think those three that you mentioned, the two that I mentioned as well, are good ones. Um, and I don't want to see him go anywhere horrible, so I wouldn't want him to go to the Jets or anything like that. But just to repeat what he's going through now. Um, but those, I think those are good choices that you brought up. All right. I appreciate that. I, I like yours also. There's no doubt. There's, look, there's at least 20 teams who would take him right this second at minimum, probably even more. Nikki, what do you think? I said Washington Falcons, Patriot. Where would you go um, for Deshaun Watson? Deshaun Watson, excuse me, realistically. To the Giants. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't care. make it work make it yeah. work could this be realistic for every team now i know like cap and everything but like everybody has a price right everybody has a price for something like so make it work you talk about tossing james winston oh i'm flinging daniel jones out on the turn <laughs> like i you know what dude it's been real uh no <laughs> i could see new england um i I'm sure the Jets are going to make a play that would suck for him. But, um, man, I would love for the Giants to get him. Oh, my God, would I love that. 
Yeah, that would change your organization around instantly. And he can do that for a lot of organizations. But when you're surrounded by Houston Texans management and the players they got rid of and the players that are hurt and aging, you don't want to be around for that. So again, thank you, Paris at PG rated FB, which again, I imagine stands for football. Guys, great questions. Thank you so much. I have Uh, one more, Jay. Oh, great. Let's do it. All right. So I got this one pretty late. It was breaking news that happened pretty much like maybe an hour or two before we started the pod. And this is from Tattooed Bananas Pod. Very (laughs) funny podcast. You can tell by the name (laughs) that they have a lot of fun there. Um, So his question was, do you think the Brooklyn Nets will be better now with James Harden being an addition to the team? Uh, I know that Nikki's not the biggest NBA fan, uh, but Jason, what do you think about that one? I, you know, it's funny. I was talking about an hour before we got on to uh, my best friend in New York, and he's like, wow, did you see what happened? I'm like, yeah, I freaking saw what happened. I, you know, can I believe it? Yes, of course I can believe it. Um, I just, look, Kyrie Irving's missed, what, the last four games, Kevin Durant, you know, out with COVID, whatever, this and that, and the other thing. I just don't know how the three of them are going to get along. A lot of people said that last year about Westbrook and Harden. Things worked out to an extent, and I understand that, but... I don't know how Harden and Kyrie and Durant are all going to share a ball. I mean, yeah, there are passing abilities among these players. There's no doubt about it. But unless they really just want to say, hey, we're all in this for a championship, then, okay, it can work out. There's no doubt. But you're mixing in three incredible talents right now that are used to being the guy. So I have my skepticism about it. But when you have (laughs) Harden, Irving, and and Kevin Durant, I mean, it's like another Golden State type of thing just for different players. So they may have a better roster than even the Lakers right now, but does that mean they're going to beat them and have the chemistry? I don't know, D. What do you think? They gave up a lot. They gave up a lot, and they don't have any depth right now. So in the trade, it was a four-team trade, and they gave up Karis LeVert, who is somebody who can give you 20 points a game. Yep. He, is, he ends up going to the Pacers in the trade. Um, they also gave up Torian Prince, uh, Jared Allen, two guys who are capable of being starters for you. So, and Spencer Dinwiddie, who was supposed to be a big part of their team, got hurt and is out for the year. So there's a lot of depth missing. It reminds me a lot of Golden State, where you have such a top-heavy team, and once one player gets hurt, you see that lack of depth really come out. Yeah. And this Nets team really has that same issue, and they don't mesh together the way that Golden State did. KD fed in, he fit in perfectly with Steph and Clay. He was able to be plugged in. And that's why that first year, it was just like an easy run to the championship because he fit in so well. Yep. This one is not a perfect fit. Kyrie's a shoot first point guard. James Harden is a scorer. Now, like you said, can he pass the ball? Yeah, but it's a different type of passing. It's not a flow of the game type passing. It's him, dribble, dribble, dribble. Three people come at me. Now I'm going to pass it. Uh-huh. Way, it's a way different type of feel to it. So I don't think there. this is an automatic championship. I've seen a lot of people saying that, like, oh, the league's done. This is automatic championship. I hate this. I do hate the super team thing when people want to team up like this, but I don't think they construct themselves as an automatic championship. I don't think so at all. It's going to be very interesting. A lot of drama already there. We don't know what's going on with Kyrie Irving. He's doing a, new, a no-call, no-show, like he's at a regular job. We, we can't have this type of you stuff. We only get so, three of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he, yeah, it's a lot going on there. 
but it makes a perfect drama in the NBA. So I'm excited to see it, but I do not think it's an automatic championship at all. Yeah, I, I'm with you all the way. It's definitely not an automatic championship. Got to see if these guys can mesh together. If they can, then I would say watch out. Know that about it. But still, other good teams in the East and the West, as we know, is stacked. So, um, yeah, I'm sure teams are shaking a little bit in their boots. But let's see what happens first. All right. All right. I like that. Good question. Again, who was that from? That was from Tattooed Bananas Pod. All right. Love it. Awesome freaking name right there. All right. So good. I had some basketball in there. I like it. Again, you guys can ask us anything, even what our favorite freaking movie is. Who the hell cares? And we appreciate the questions coming well, in. Well, you can't ask favorite movie because Nikki hasn't seen any. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't ask me that, but you can ask uh, me anything else. <laughs> that was good, bro. That was good. I like that. Excellent. <laughs> that was funny. All right. Um, you know, Look, NFL fans, I think, are going to be really happy regardless who gets into the Super Bowl, except maybe the Rams. Because, you know, you're talking about Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. Then you got your youngsters on the other side, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. You know, so Baker Mayfield, even who knows, you know, so it's like the old versus the young on opposite sides. I'm really excited to see this. Um, Man, can't wait. So let's not waste any time. Let's get into this bad boy. D, tell them how we break it down, brother. So we break it down by position group, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, uh, O-line, D-line, front seven. So D-line and linebackers, secondary, and also head coach. Break it down by category, help us determine who will win these games. That's right. That's how we're going to do it. And uh, you know what? It's really interesting. It's funny. Uh, The number one teams uh, who both had buys, the Chiefs and the Packers, they both play the sixth uh, seed teams, which would be the Browns and the Rams. And ironically enough, in the AFC and NFC, the Bills, the number two seed, play the five seed Rams, as does the two and five seed Saints and Bucks play. So that's a little ironic for you. But here we go. Let's break this stuff down, man. I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's start with the Chiefs, the defending champions who were favored by 10 points over the Cleveland Browns, who shocked the world. Can the Browns run on Kansas City? and keep Mahomes on the sideline. Guys, to me, this game, it's strength on strength, run versus pass. The Browns getting Denzel Ward back is huge, by the way, as far as the corners is concerned, because we know what the Chiefs can do. They're ranked number one on offense. The Branks, the, the Browns are ranked 16th. Kansas City has the 16th-ranked defense. The Browns have the 17th, so a little equal there. But offensively, the Chiefs definitely have the push on that one. Chiefs are number one in passing. Browns 24th. The Browns do, although, have the third-ranked rushing offense, as we all know, between uh, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And Kansas City is right in the middle of the pack at 16th. So given that information, some others we're going to come up with. Uh, Chiefs aren't the greatest sacking team. You know, the Cleveland Browns have a pretty damn good offensive line. This game, I don't think, is going to be that cut and dry, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll make it minute quick, and then we'll have a discussion about it. I do believe that the Browns can run on Kansas City, control the the line of scrimmage, control the clock, and keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. Is it going to be enough? I don't know. But they're capable of doing it because Kansas City's defense, Nikki, is nothing that you want to be like, oh, my God, it's Kansas City's defense. No, you can run the ball on with them, especially with two number one running backs. Yeah, you can. And I think – that the Browns are feeling themselves and I think they're going to be playing with some confidence and 
My prediction is this game starts off exactly like you said. The Browns are going to take control in the first quarter, grab the lead, running with Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, and I think everybody's going to be like, oh, my God, no way. But it ain't going to last that long, okay? It is not going to last that long. The Browns have allowed 300 or more uh, yards passing in seven of their eight last games. So I foresee Mahomes hitting Tyree kill couple of long touchdown passes. I think the chiefs defense will pressure Baker Mayfield enough to keep pace. So I think it's going to look like it's going one way, but the chiefs are going to come back and win. All right. All right. So going with the chiefs on that one, I'm going to see my prediction for a second after Damien, but just to go to, to what you were saying, Nikki, the chiefs, um, they were ranked 19th in sacks this year. They had 32. And the, uh, excuse me, the Browns offensive line was ranked eighth in the league. So nothing incredible, but we know they have a good offensive line. Let's see if they can hold up those sacks over there, Damien. What are you thinking about all these stats and the game itself? Yeah, you guys are doing a great job breaking it down. What it comes down to me as is you got the number one ranked passing offense and the Chiefs going against number 22 ranked passing defense in the Browns and the Browns could run the ball and hold the time of possession for all this time. They can have 18 minutes of time of possession against two for the chiefs, but the chiefs can <laughs> score three times in those two minutes. <laughs> and that's the difference yeah. in the game. And uh, if the Browns had, you know, a better defense, I think this would be a very competitive game, but because their passing defense, even though Denzel Ward is coming back, it's not enough. Who's going to stop Travis Kelsey? No one. Uh, you know, if Denzel Ward can't stop Tyreek Hill, you know, if Tyreek Hill is stopped, who stopped Watkins? There's just so many weapons. And then when you do play perfect defense, Patrick Mahomes does something crazy, some no-look pass. He runs around for two, three extra seconds. Next thing you know, somebody's open down the field. He's launching it. It's just too much. Uh, so I got the Chiefs winning this one. You know what? It is too much, but sometimes too much is really actually not enough. And they've had a couple of weeks off. They haven't played their players. I know Andy Reid is a master marveler coming off a of bye week, but this is two bye weeks. And again, guys, the line of scrimmage is where the game is won. And I believe that Cleveland has the advantage there. I know this sounds sick. I never in a billion years would have thought I would have ah. picked don't no, do it. Jen. I am. I'm doing it. Don't do it. Stop. This has nothing to do with last game against Pittsburgh. It really doesn't. I think that Cleveland matches up very well with the Chiefs. I understand the passing game. That's something I get it. But if they can get after him and disrupt Patrick Mahomes even a little bit and throw things off, that could help. But I think that the time of possession is going to be well in Cleveland's favor, and that's going to keep the points down. And maybe, you know, I know that, look, I know the Chiefs are the king of comebacks. I understand all that. But I'm rolling with the Browns in this game, guys, 31-28. I know it sounds insane, but I really actually believe that's going to happen. This has nothing to do with me picking the Browns earlier in the year to make the playoffs. I thought they would have been out already. I picked Pittsburgh last week. So it's a whole different thing. I know it's shocking. It probably won't happen, but I'm, I'm going to go with it. I'm going with it. So let's so, get to what, What's that, T? So when you look at the game, the way we break it down, what areas you got running back, of course, what other areas do you give to Cleveland? I actually, I, I give Cleveland uh, defense for sure. I give them rushing the passer because uh, Kansas City's offensive line is really nothing 
nothing to brag about at all. It's all Patrick Mahomes scrambling out. Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher bookends at, at offensive line are having their problems. They're all banged up, obviously. I don't think he's going to have a lot of time to hold on to the ball. Yes, he does magic, but Cleveland is hungry. They're young. I think Miles Garrett is going to have a nice day. Okay. Okay. I, if they yeah. if they had still had Vernon, that would make a big difference, I think. Um, that makes sense. I hear yeah. you. I hear you. I mean, look, the guy's a fantastic player, a great linebacker. There's no question yeah. about it. I mean, even when he gets on the defensive line. But, no, I really think the Browns are going to run the ball, and, yeah, it's going to turn into a high-scoring game. But I just think when you run and you run even more and you got two healthy, fresh running backs going in the fourth quarter, that makes a big difference. So I'm taking the Browns, guys. I really am. I know it sounds nuts, but I'm doing it. <laughs> hey, if you are right, you're truly the sports prophet, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. That shall remain until the weekend. Can't wait to find out. But um, yeah, I think it'll be a good game no matter what. All right, let's get to the next NFC game. Excuse me, AFC game where we got the Bills who are favored only three points at home against the Ravens. That's going to make you think if you're a betting guy, guys. You know, the question is, can Baltimore score enough points to keep up with Buffalo? Well, if they keep playing defense the way they are and the way Indy did last week, then the answer is yes. Bills... Yeah, they're second offensively while the Ravens are only ranked 19th. A lot of that is skewed from earlier in the year. The Ravens' D, however, is second while the Bills are only 14th in the league. You know, we've been talking about the Bills guys' defense a lot, and they are good and they can make plays at time, but there are times where they can just be scored upon and they can be thrown upon, and it happens a lot, a lot in the passing game, despite having Tredavious White back there. So the Bills also ranked, like I said, third in passing, not just offense, but third in passing. Ravens are dead last in passing, but they're the top rushing team in the league where Buffalo is only 20th, and now they lost Zach Moss. So the Ravens are pretty hot. The Bills were pretty lucky to win that game on Saturday. Damian, I think this is a really good matchup. Yeah, I think this is the best matchup of the weekend, you know, and it's you got two great young QBs. I think it's going to come down to that. Who is more special, Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen? And I can see Josh Allen making one more play than Lamar Jackson because it's going to come down to maybe a pass that only a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes can make those special type passes that those guys can make. And against the Ravens defense, you're going to have to be special. Like you're not going to be able to hit everything on time. There's not going to be, you know, just your pretty three, you know, three-step drop slant route. Everything is going to have to evolve and be improvised uh, to make it work. And if there's somebody who can't improvise in that way, it is Josh Allen. Um, This is a great matchup. It's really one that's tough to pick. When you look at it, position group by position group, it's really tough because QB, you can make a case for either one. Um, I would go Josh Allen over Lamar Jackson there, but very, very slightly because he is a better passer at this point. Uh, running backs, you got to go with the Ravens. Um, Rye receivers, got to go with Buffalo. Stephon Diggs, those guys are amazing right now. O-line is tough because you see what Baltimore is able to do as far as creating running lanes, but they also have lost off his line throughout the year. Buffalo, they're able to keep Josh Allen upright for the most part. 
Um, defensive line got to go Baltimore. Secondary got to go Baltimore as well, even though Tredavious White is back there for Buffalo. For Buffalo, very tough matchup, even evenly matched. But I'm gonna go with Buffalo, 28-27. It contradicts my Super Bowl pick. I hate it, but I gotta go with just a gut feeling in this one. Buffalo in a very very close battle. Hey Amen. That's why we break it down. And you know, Nikki, you would go with Josh Allen too. I would go with Josh Allen. I would definitely go with Baltimore's running game for sh- for sure because the Bills really don't have one. You agree on both of those? Yeah. No, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Wide receivers. I'm with Damian. Uh, it's got to be the Bills. I would take the Ravens front seven right now. Mm-hmm. And as far as secondary, Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. I know they got Tre'Davious White back then. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's a tie. I don't know. That, that that's that's definitely a tough one. And when you get down to the head coach, John Harbaugh has been there for a while, but Sean McDermott has been in the NFL for like ninety years. So that's another close one right there. It's a close matchup in general, and trying to like weigh this out is just—I don't know—I went back and forth for most of the day. I'm picking this game. Um, so Lamar's MVP year overall, he produced 4,333 yards and 43 TDs. So that's his MVP year. Josh Allen this year produced 4,965 yards and 45 TDs. So my point is just to illustrate that, yes, Josh Allen is playing at an MVP level, if that's what we're looking at for measurement, right? Lamar Jackson's MVP year. Um, I think this game is going to come down to who's going to be able to slow down the opposing quarterback And right now I give the edge to the Ravens. And I also think the Ravens are going to be able to limit the bills possessions with their run game. So as tough as this is, I'm going to go Baltimore 28, Buffalo 24. Wow. We got very similar scores. I got Ravens 27 bills, 23, and uh, this has nothing to do with my Super Bowl pick at all. Damien, I love how you keep it true right there. Um, But you know what? To me, Baltimore is really riding high, and I feel like the Bills are starting to hit that low that they hit somewhere in the middle of the season. Maybe not necessarily a low, but look, you're right. If Josh Allen, if it comes down to somebody who's got to make a pass to win a game, you know, Josh Allen, I don't know how many more guys I want other than him except for maybe Mahomes and Rodgers, so I'm with you on that one. But, yeah, I feel like the Ravens' run game is going to dominate. I feel like they may get a couple of turnovers, which will secure the game even though it'll be close. So I, I have to agree with her. I think the Ravens are going to take this one. Yeah, I'll be the lone wolf on this one, but it's not, you know, like super confident lone wolf. I definitely don't know who's going to win this game. So I'm, I can't wait to watch it, man. Yeah, again, it really might be the best one of the entire weekend. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt. You know what, guys? We're going to take one more really, really quick commercial break because we want to do the NFC and we don't want to have to rush it So we're going to take a very fast commercial break, come back with you guys in 30 seconds, go over Packers and Rams, Saints and Bucks, break it down from QB all the way down to the head coach. So in 30 seconds, third and three podcasts, we'll be right back. Don't pretend like 
is for sure, it's for find your back. Yeah. Some turn around and I'll pick up the slide. Yeah. Yeah. Dirty babe. You see these shackles, baby, on this Oh, Justin, you dirty little man that you are over there singing those songs. Well, he's all grown up now. He's all grown up. He can say what he wants. All right, 33 podcasts, doing what we do best, talking football, making you happy, making us happy, and getting to eat dinner late at night. So that's what we're going to do. <laughs> we have the NFC that is left, four teams left in that division, or conference, I should say, as the AFC, and we're going to go to the Packers right now who are favored by six and a half over the Rams, the sixth ranked team. The Rams, as we know, solid, more than solid, fantastic defense. Freaking Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. Is Ramsey going to be able to cover him? We're going to get into all that. So let's break it down and then we can make our picks. Quarterback, do I have to ask? No. (laughs) No, No, I don't. (laughs) Running back, well, I would say Aaron Jones – is better than Cam Akers, but I'm really, really loving what I'm seeing out of Cam Akers, guys. Yeah, Cam Akers is nothing to sneeze at, but Aaron Jones is an absolute monster. Yeah. And I love what the Packers are doing running the ball. No doubt. They're doing a great job. It's going to be a little bit tougher without uh, David Bakhtiari over there running to the left, which they usually like to run to, but they make up for it, bring in a tight end. They could do it. What are you saying, Nikki? Packers. Packers, there we go, Packers. Wide receivers. Now, we know that, I mean, Devontae Adams, I'm for goodness sake, he's to me, he's the best in the game, maybe because Aaron Rodgers throws him the ball, but Devontae Adams is absolutely fantastic. After that, okay, you got Van, you know, Marquez Vada Scandal. I still can't pronounce his freaking name. MVS. Please let Damien me- do it. I must ask struggle with that one too. Marquez Valdez Scantling. Thank you. Wow. Nice. The pronunciation is perfect, though, my friend. Excellent job. So you got him, you know, you got a couple other, you know, twos and threes over there, but then you got Rob Awards and Cooper Cup on the other side and a couple of tight ends, uh, you know, in Higby and Everett. I, it's tough. Again, just in a vacuum, a word that I used last week that I want to stop using. Nikki, which wide receiver group is better? Uh, I went with the Packers for this one. Is that because of Devontae Adams solely and Rogers' ability? Yes, of course. I went, let me see. Actually, aside from defense, I went Packers all the way. Pretty well, yeah. yeah. Offensively, I would I would go with them for the most part over there. Uh well, D, what do you think? You know, again, Devontae Adams as as great as they come, but on the other side, like I said, you know, you got Woods and Cup who are more than capable and a couple of tight ends who could play ball also. Overall, what do you think? Yeah, the Rams are deeper. And if you don't have, if they both had the same quarterback throwing to them, you would go Rams. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, because they're deeper. But Devontae Adams is the best of the group, and he has that bad man throwing him the ball. Yeah. So because of that, you go Packers. Yeah, that, yeah. And I, and I definitely understand that. But, uh, again, if we're just talking about just the wide receivers – you're right. You know, if Aaron Rodgers throwing either one of them, he'd rather probably have uh, the Rams receivers. But they got a broken thumb and Jared Goff, so we'll see how far that takes him. That's our wide receivers. What about our front seven over here? I mean, look, the Packers definitely playing better. They can get to the quarterback, but the Rams have been playing out of their freaking minds, man. I mean, come on, Nikki. I, I, I don't really think that we can argue here. No, Rams. 
Yeah, it's it, it's got to be the Rams, Damian, in my yeah, opinion. Man. Yeah, it has to be the Rams. Like I said last week, Aaron Donald. Uh, he just yeah. he's uh, he causes <laughs> so much it. havoc. <laughs> um, hopefully he's healthy, you know, and he's ready to go. But we saw it when before we got hurt in that Seattle game. He was causing so much just wreckage. And it's just, it's unreal when you truly just watch what he does and how much you have to pay attention to him as an offense. It's unbelievable. It's amazing how they slide the protection over to him. All the, every, every single play, he's got to be double teamed or triple teamed. Otherwise, he's coming through. It, it really is that amazing. As far as secondary goes, Green Bay's got a very underrated secondary. You know, with Darnell Savage back there, who's become a pickoff machine, but you know, when you talk about Ramsey and these other guys, you know, extreme lockdown corner who could take away your best receiver. I can't wait to watch that matchups with Devontae Adams and Jalen Ramsey. I, I mean, Nikki, I, I know uh, you, you went defense with the Rams over there, but uh, Damian, do you have any discrepancy over this? Do you think that Green Bay more fully has a better secondary or does Jalen Ramsey basically take over everything? Yeah, when you have somebody as good as Jalen Ramsey, it shuts down one side of the field. So then you have to give that team the edge, especially as long as the other cornerback is competent, you have to give it to them because Jalen Ramsey is just that excellent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he really, really is that unbelievable. Total cover corner, maybe the best in the game right now. I Just just incredible. So let's go to head coach then. Um, look, we got Sean McVay, who was dubbed the genius, and anybody who came off of his tree like Belichick was the next one. But look what Matt LaFleur has done this year. I talked about him when we were going over our coaches of the year. I named Matt LaFleur, and I think he was my second. So, in look, Sean McVay has the experience, but I feel like Matt LaFleur may be the smarter guy and maybe knows his team a little bit more. And I know that's kind of weird to say, but I, I guess really overall I'd have to give it to Sean McVay and what he's done and realizing how much the defensive side of the ball counts. I think he's come around as a full head coach now. Where Matt LaFleur I love, but maybe not up to McVay's status yet, Nikki. Um, it's funny because LaFleur was the Rams offensive coordinator in 2017. Right. And Sean McVay does a great job. Um, but if we're talking about this matchup, I think Sean McVay is more – yeah, I think he's more susceptible to getting out coached, and we've seen it. And I think if anyone can do it, it's going to be Matt LaFleur. So I'm going to edge to Green Bay on this one. Okay. All right. I, I'm not going to argue with that. What do you think, Dick? Yeah, you got two very good coaches here. Um, you can't go wrong either way. If you're one of those teams that hasn't had a good coach in a while, you're probably jealous of the fact that we're even comparing these two. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I would go I would go LaFleur just off of what he's done the last two years. I know McVay's been to Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, I'm still mad at, at the fact of how they got there. But mm. you have that experience going against LaFleur, who has gone 13-3 in his first two years, right? That's not easy to do no matter who you have at QB. Um, so I think that he deserves credit for that. And in this matchup, I give him the edge. All right. I dig it. I dig it. You know, Packers fifth on offense, Rams 11th, Rams first in defense, as we know, but the Packers are ninth. They have a good defense as well. And, you know, the Packers can pass the ball. The Rams can pass when they have a full thumb over there. And they both can rush. But believe it or not, the Packers, um, well, I shouldn't say believe it or not, but the Packers were eighth in rushing this year and the Rams 10th. So, when it comes down to a final score, guys, even though I love that defense of the Rams, they're playing in Green Bay, 
You got Aaron Rodgers. You got other players who are not household names. I think it'll be a close one, but I like the Packers 24 to 19 at home in this game, Nikki. Yeah, no, I'm definitely going Packers because I think the Rams' healthiest quarterback right now is Blake Bortles. <laughs> so, um, yeah, listen, it's going to be 30 degrees in Green Bay. And if you are already banged up that cold weather, it's 30 degrees here right now. Um, and I have no injuries other than a nagging cheerleading uh, knee injury from cheerleading. Um, and it hurts. So imagine if you got a banged up thumb or rib, that's really going to hurt. But I just think Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is going to be a little too much eventually in this game. I think the defense can only do so much. I have Green Bay 27, Rams 20. Okay, Green Bay 27, Rams 20, so a touchdown game. I got it close also by five points. Damien, what do you got? I got the Rams defense keeping it close, but they only could do so much with an offense that's going to be limited. QB, like I said earlier, missing the right thumb pretty much. Uh, the fact that he was able to even throw the ball is, you know, amazing to me. But not enough against that Packers offense. I got Packers 21, Rams 17. All right. All right. So, yeah, so we're all on board where the game is going to be close, but the pack should come out on top on Lambeau. Let's see who we will be going to Lambeau if we are indeed right. It'll either be the Saints or the Bucks. Saints have favored three and a half over the Bucks. Beat them twice this year, and one time it was 38 to three, as you know. The big question is will Tom Brady be beaten by the same team three times in one season? Let's start there. Let's go to our quarterbacks over here. We got Tom Brady, the GOAT, as they say, against Drew Brees, who's as close to the GOAT as you can get. Both of them hold basically every record known to man. Aaron Rodgers has a couple. Peyton Manning has a couple. But these two quarterbacks, I'm just going to say even, okay? I'm really saying even. I'm not even going to say one is better than the other. They're both, you know, in their 70s, and they're both still playing great (laughs) And it, it, it's just amazing. Still, the accuracy is there. Enough arm strength is there. That You know, they got receivers to throw the ball to, guys. So I have to, you know, cop out and say even on this one, Damian. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. But I got to go with Tom. Uh, just at this point, the difference between them is arm strength, right? And Tom Brady's still able to push the ball downfield. With Drew, when he pushes the ball downfield, it's a, it's a surprise now. <laughs> right like the he had a completion in the bears game to michael thomas that was like 30 yards and me and every other saints fan was like oh okay i see you drew <laughs> <laughs> like it was is that type of thing where drew goes downfield but he's still so smart that he knows exactly when to throw it to where his lack of arm strength doesn't come into play too often but with tom he has that knowledge along with still having that strong arm so that's why i have to give tom the edge at qb all right, that's a good answer. That's a good answer. Nikki, what do you think? I'm going with the 506-year-old Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So let's get to our running backs over here. Um, I'm not sure what the story is with Ronald Jones uh, Jr. over there. And, uh, look, we know what we got with Kamara and uh, Latavius Murray. Not the greatest game last week, but that's fine. It's a different defense, and we know the Bucks have a very good defense. There's no doubt about that, as do the Saints. So running back, Kamara, Latavius Murray versus, uh, what, Leonard Fournette and maybe Ronald Jones, you know, Keyshawn uh, uh, Vaughn, I, I believe his name is. I don't think he's even going to see the field after some of the things that he did so 
Where are we going to go on running back over here, Damian? Yeah, I got to go with the Saints at running back. The versatility of Kamara, Latavius Murray, if you need somebody to pound the rock, he can do that for you. Uh, they just can do so much compared to Leonard Fournette, who, like I said, was good last week. If Ronald Jones is able to play, they do have, you know, a valid, you know, running back duo there, but it's not on the same level as Kamara and Murray. No, I totally agree. And the numbers back it up, Nikki. The Saints have a distinct advantage in the run game. They're ranked sixth in the league, and the Bucks are ranked 28th. So I guess that says it all, huh? That says it all, and I went Saints. <laughs> love it, love it. Yep. All right, so let's hit up uh, the wide receiver group now. Michael Thomas has not been around for much of the year, but came back, had a nice performance last week. Still worrying about, uh, you know, Emmanuel Sanders. Smith came about, you know, they still got Jared Cook. So plenty of guys to throw the ball to, including Kamara, uh, who's not a wide receiver, but we can include him in the conversation. Then you got Godwin for Tampa Bay. You got Evans, Antonio Brown, Gronkowski, Cameron Brait. I mean, man, it, it, this one, I have to take the Bucks. There's too much talent for wide receiver on the Bucks side, but New Orleans isn't that far behind, but, yeah, uh, clear cut. I would take the Bucks in this one, Nikki. Oh, yeah. I took the Bucks and I kind of coupled that with, you know, I make my own rules. I coupled that with the tight end as well. So I yeah. went Tampa Bay there. Absolutely. And that's fair. Hey, that again, tight ends are becoming more receivers now than ever. So, uh, Damien, I know you've been taking your bias out the entire time, and I have so much respect for that. Where do you go with this one? Yeah, I got to go Bucks. Like you mentioned, all the weapons, Evans. Godwin, if Godwin catch the ball, that's a, that was a big thing against Washington. A lot of drops there. Um, but like I said, Gronk, Brait, Brait was big in that game. And Antonio Brown is becoming a bigger part of their offense, way bigger than the last time we played against them in week nine. Um, so that's a big factor there, wide receiver. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, look, let's get to our front seven over here. Defense is where this game is going to be won. It's not going to be just in the arms of Tom Brady and Drew Brees or the running game, the defense is going to have to step up because you have two high-potent offenses over here, and one of them is going to have to make a difference, whether it's going to be sack, fumble, score, interception, return, whatever it may be, uh, field advantage, all that sort of stuff. So when we look at the front seven and we look at the defense just in general, all right, New Orleans has the fourth overall defense in the league this year, and the Bucks have the sixth. So we're talking neck and neck right there. Um, when it comes to the front seven, though, I do feel more confident that the Saints can wreak more havoc, get to the quarterback, even make plays at linebacker, even though they're a little shaky over there at times. I do like to Mario Davis a lot. Um, look, Tampa could do the same thing, Nikki. There's no doubt. They can play ball over there. But I have a little more confidence that the Saints can make more happen, cause a turnover, whatever it may be, than Tampa could with their front seven. What do you think? Yep, I'm with you. I took the Saints. You took the Saints on that, too? All right. All right, D, what do you think? Yeah, I got to go with the Saints. That front four is so deep. They can rotate and get pressure. We saw that in the last matchup. That was the what really, you know, set the blowout in motion was the fact that Cam Jordan was in Tom Brady's face the whole time. And Demario Davis, at linebacker, um, the loss of Quan Alexander was big for other linebacker spot, but Anzalone has come in and played pretty well in that spot. And he's somebody who can play well there just won't be as athletic as Quan Alexander, but he definitely can sub in quite well. So front seven wise, I got to go with the saints. 
Yep, yep, I hear you. Look, I'm more with the Saints. Um, they ranked eighth in sacks this year. The Bucks did rank fourth. Um, you know, a little bit different. Again, numbers can't be skewed at certain times. We know that Breeze missed, you know, four games and everything like that. So things could be different with Taysom Hill, maybe, you know, having a little kerfuffle in the background, or in the backfield or whatever it is. So uh, we'll definitely see. The Bucks have the fourth ranked offensive line as well where the Saints had the 12th. But again, like I talked about, the numbers are skewed right there. So as far as um, secondary is concerned, this, this is another one that I kind of flip-flop back and forth with. I really wasn't sure because the Bucks have a lot of no-name players in their secondary. And the Saints, you know, we, you know, we got Lattimore, we got the Jenkins boys. They're getting a little bit older where the Bucks, young Bucks over there, no pun intended, seem to be making a lot of plays. So this one was a toss-up for me, Damien. Yeah, no, I can see why it was a toss-up. I went with the Saints slightly because of the experience of Malcolm Jenkins back there, you know, Super Bowl winner, somebody who's been through battles and has played better as the year has gotten along. And he was somebody who was able to give Gronk and Braid problems early on, sticking tight ends. Uh, I like, you know, I made fun of – uh, my man Marcus Williams earlier for making the worst tackle attempt of all time on the Minnesota Miracle. But <laughs> since that moment, uh, he's been really good back there uh, holding that back in. Uh, we mentioned Lattimore and Jenkins. They've been both been doing good jobs. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, he's the guy who's going to get in Antonio Brown's head. Um, yep. So you got to throw him You got to throw him in there. And he's outside of the trash talk. He's a great nickel corner. Like he's okay. really he's really good. Uh, and that gets kind of lost because he gets people so mad. But he's really good on the field as well. Um, so secondary-wise, I had to give the Saints the edge. Yeah, the guy doesn't play because he's good at trash talking. He plays because he's good at football. So, yeah, there we go. You know, a, a double for him. Way to go. Uh, Nikki, you thinking the same thing? Saints, you know, again, more household names have been there, done that before? Saints. Saints, all right. And I also went with the Saints by a slim margin. Like I said, it was definitely a toss-up for me. I really wasn't sure. But overall, I did give it to the Saints. Um, I saw them make more plays and the experience that they have led me to go over there. All right, head coach. Wow, okay. Sean Payton, Bruce Arians, both went to the Super Bowl. Only one of them won it. And I'll just say right, right now, Sean Payton is one of the best head coaches in the league. Bruce Arians is nowhere in that conversation. So that's quite it for me. I'll go with the Saints and Sean Payton for head coach, Damian. Yeah, I got to go Sean Payton. The willingness to adjust and not have his ego get in the way gives him the edge to me. Yeah, yeah, Nikki, what do you think? Oh, I hate Bruce Arians. We know that. Yeah, that's true. Ron Payton. That's true. Yeah, good call. Well, let's get to the final score. And again, just going through these things, like I said, with the, the, the Bucks have a very good offensive line, but the Saints can get to the quarterback. So can the Bucks. They can get to the quarterback, and the Saints have a good offensive line. They both got good secondaries. They both got good offenses, good defenses. This is a game that's going to come down to the wire. It it, it really, really will. Um, like I said, the Saints definitely have a big advantage in the run game. So if they can get that going, they're going to be all right. And they're probably going to win the game unless Tom Brady goes ballistic and is throwing the ball all over the place. I don't know. Guys, here's what I think. It's really hard to beat a team three times in the same season, even though it's been done before. I'm going to take the Bucks by a field goal, 30 to 27. Damian, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to also you, Nikki, who has the same exact Super Bowl, Saints in Baltimore. But I think the Bucks actually take this one, 30 to 27 in New Orleans. Damien, I'll save you for last because I know you want to punch me in the face. So, Nick, <laughs> you go ahead with your prediction. 
Uh, I so bad want to take the Saints. I really, really, really do. Yes, they are my Super Bowl pick. Yes, I think they are the better overall team when you look at both of them. But I just have this nagging feeling that Tampa Bay is going to pull this out. I just... I feel like we're in for this. Brady's going to seal the deal. Some late game winning drive with a touchdown, of course, to Gronk. Like I just, Brady's so good in the playoffs. I I can't go against him. And even though I think it's going to be super close and I desperately do want to take the Saints, I just, something's nagging at me and I have to go Tampa Bay. So I'm going Tampa Bay 31, New Orleans 27. Yeah, we have very similar scores right there. Um, We're, Maybe Damien has something different in mind. We're going to go to him right now. But one way or another, this game is absolutely huge. And again, it's just, it's, it's been, it's happened before, you know, beating a team three times in a season, but it's very difficult. And I feel like the Bucks are really starting to peak at this point. But if there's a team that can hold them down, it would be the Saints, Damien. Yes, and it will continue to be the Saints. Who <laughs> that said they're going to beat them Saints? It will not be the Bucks. It is hard to beat a team three times in a year, but you know who the last team to do that was? The New Orleans Saints. <laughs> we did it to the Carolina Panthers a few years ago. Sweep them, swept them under the rug. We're going to do the same thing to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs, they just don't match up with us well. There's a reason why the first two games were such blowouts. Now, I do think this one will be close. It's hard to blow out a team three times. That's definitely for sure. Um, so I think it will be close. I got Saints 28, Bucks 24. All right. All right. So definitely close games. It would definitely not shock me if the Saints won at all. As a matter of fact, I'm probably going to be pulling for them, especially because of you, bro. I've seen Tom Brady enough in, in the Super Bowls and playoffs and all that. Let's get Drew another one or Aaron another one, stuff like that. We're going to get more into it. This is the NFL divisional round that we just went over. We thank you for your questions. Also, it's been awesome. What a great show. Before we get out of here and we have our very late dinner, Nikki, tell everybody where to find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nikki Nick 9384. That's it. 9384. Can't forget those numbers. It's just like a swoon, you know, like Jenny. It's 86753. <laughs> <laughs> and D, when's the next show, bro? So I just dropped one yesterday on the real deal with Damian Adams. So that one is fresh. Go ahead and check it out on any platform that you listen to podcast on the real deal with Damian Adams and follow me on any platform at the real deal WDA on social media and check out my YouTube, the real deal with Damian Adams just dropped a new video today on the big James Harden trade. Yeah, no doubt. My man putting in plenty of work over there. I, I appreciate you both. My name is Jason Freeman. You can get me at sports profit one on Twitter. That's where I do most of my social media Love the third and three podcasts. Love doing this with you guys. doesn't matter how long it takes, even though we're hungry, we're ready to go eat right now, but we're really going to be eating on Saturday and Sunday afternoon when the games go down. And then we can talk about the championship games in the AFC and the NFC. But until then third and three podcasts, make sure you listen, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your strangers, make sure to pick up the phone. Let us know. We're here for you. Ask the questions. Third and three podcasts Wednesday, We're out.